In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Glory to thee, O God, glory to thee, heavenly King, O Comforter, Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present, and fillest all things, I treasure every good and bestower of life. Come and dwell us, and cleanse us from every stain, and save our souls, O good one. Some people made some comments and said that they were surprised that I was doing another talk so close to the other one. And it's true, I don't usually do that because we just finished the talk, which took a long time to edit it and fix it all up and all that. And that happened three weeks ago. And then we had three weeks to prepare for this talk, which usually I take longer. So it was very stressful to do that. So you might ask, why would I do that? Well, Father Seraphim Rose gave a very good answer. He said, it's later than you think. That's what he used to say all the time. It's later than you think. In other words, start doing something about your salvation. Start thinking about your salvation. Start struggling because it's later than you think. And also the sign of the times that he was referring to. I wonder what he would say today if he was living in what we're living through now which doesn't compare to what he lived through in the, you know, when he died in the, uh, around 80, I think, 1980, 70, something like that. There is an urgency, and that's why I did it, because we don't know when the next lockdown's gonna be, we don't know what's, there is a move, and it's not a conspiracy theory, it's obvious if you have a brain, that they're, they're trying to, people are trying to control the world. And, and unfortunately, as we will see as we go on, many hierarchs in the Orthodox Church are obeying these people. But not only are they obeying them, they're also telling their flocks to obey, to accept the vaccines, to accept that the churches are being closed, and um, everything else that they did during that. Someone's making noise, I can't concentrate. Thank you, that's all. So um, that's why I had to do it quickly. 
they're already bragging how they controlled the world and how they were successful in locking people up and things like that. And that and they're speaking about another lockdown to, to, and they want to they've, they've got this mania, this obsession with two things: climate, climate change, or they call it now, and the other one is population. It's, they, they believe it's, the world is overpopulated. I'm going to give you two examples of what some very important people said, some well-known people said, not Gates, not them. These are royal people. That will show you how obsessed they are with those two topics, apart from that they're obsessed with Russia, but that's another one. Number one. Prince Philip, before he died, he said, I don't know the exact words, but words to the effect of that if he's reincarnated, he would like to come back to Earth as a deadly disease so that he can wipe out most of the population because of, the, because of overpopulation. He said that. No one said anything about it, but he did. And there's evidence that he said it, that if he could, he would come back as a really, really horrible, deadly disease so that he can get the planet at a better population. Now, the other royal person was his son. And his son, he's got three sons, didn't he? So we better, better, better stick to the new king of England. He said in a video some, I don't know how many years ago, he said that we have to get this uh, carbon emissions under control. We have to, he was all, you know, talking in his posh accent and he was saying that we have to do something about it. And what he proposes is that there will be a military police, but not for per country. A military police similar to the World Health Organization that were dictating to the whole world what they're going to do about this pandemic. He wants some type of military police that will be in charge of the whole world. They will go into any country they want and they will arrest people or do whatever they want to control these gases and carbon and things like that. And he said, he even said sorry, so he was polite. He said sorry, but the government will not have any say Governments will not have any say in any country. These will be a one-world military police type of thing that are going to help to control all this pollution and things like that. So his father wants to come back as a deadly virus. So the whole thing is, as I said, environment, population control. They're obsessed with it in the West. And... If you read the prophecies about the Antichrist when he comes, I'm not saying he's come now, he will gain control through certain organisations. He will take control of the money, as you saw what they did to Russia with the money and they stopped the bank because they're in control of the SWIFT system, that's how you transfer money. But they're making up another system now. And the other one they want to do is through the health, through health, like the World Health Organization. The Antichrist will take control of that, which they did, but these weren't the Antichrist. 
These were forerunners of the Antichrist, with small a, not the Antichrist. They will prepare, so they're preparing now. These vaccine passports, these chips in people, and all that's all preparing exactly what it said in, the, in Revelation, exactly what the Holy Father's Orthodox Church prophesied about all this. So, as Father Seraphim said, Father Seraphim Rose, it's later than what we think. That's a little introduction. So, I have, before we uh, go into the main part of the talk, I have ten little appetisers, spiritual appetisers I said last time. And I did, I did read this, the whole story, last time, but I wanted just to read, to remind, remind us, because I thought this was very, very good. It was in the St. Kirill of Kazan, well, he wasn't of Kazan then, in Russia, when they banned the services of the holy water on the 6th of January, because they wanted the water to be boiled, and then to do the service. He said no. Later on, he became a new martyr under the communists. This happened in 1909. But later on, he became a new martyr under the communists. Now, a reporter wrote something and said, more faith was shown in the firewood necessary to boil the water and kill the germs than in God. And, I, and as I read last time, I'm going to reread it again. More faith was shown in the vaccine and COVID hygiene rules than in God. Now, you might say, well, yes, that's true. The secular people, the governments, yes, the health authorities, they did. No, no, no. We expect that from them. They're, they're, they're unbelievers, they're forerunners, whatever they are. Where I'm talking about here, and I'll read it again. Many orthodox clergy had more faith in the vaccine and COVID hygiene rules than in God. You say, but that's, that's, that's not fair to say that. How do, you, how do you know that? Well, they shut the churches. And they kept on saying, get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get vaccinated. They kept on going about it. And if you didn't, then you're a, per, a bad person. Number two, appetizer. We see we have spiritual appetizers. As I said last time, we want to have these little things that we hear and read so that we can be prepared when we get into the more media part of the talk, which will be more detail. That's the same when you do spiritual reading. Read easy things first, then you read the ones that are a little bit heavier and need more concentration. St John Chrysostom said, We must not mind insulting men if by respecting them we offend God. This is a disease that, are, that exists today and has always existed. There are people that are so weak, they don't want to offend. I often say this to some parents, some women, for example, that are so weak, weak, they're weak, they can't say anything to anyone. I, said, I say to them, if a relative was molesting your child, I believe you wouldn't say anything. And some of them even say probably, because they're too weak to say anything. So in the church, there are so many issues, and we say, oh, I'm not going to say anything because it might offend my priest. Like some people are saying, um, I'm, oh, no, before I go to the church, there was a, a, a person who was working for someone, and he was being bullied, and they used to make him work through lunch, etc., etc., and they abused him badly. And I said to him, you should actually um, go for compensation because you were bullied. 
and they used to make him work seven, eight hours straight and then give him lunch. And I said, um, I think you should go for it. And you know what he said to me? He said, oh, I don't think I can do that because he was nice to me sometimes. He let me go home early. And I said, so you're going to throw away compensation because he let you go home early. That's an example for that. But we have that example in the church too. I'm going to baptise my child. I go, really? Does your priest... Uh, uh, dip the child deep, completely in the water three times. He goes, I don't know. You better watch that. You better watch for that. So they come back and say, No, he doesn't. He just puts in the font and pours some water on top. Greeks do that. Like, like they have, like they're bathing the child. Russians are much better. They get the babies, uh, well, the babies are smaller, because they like to baptize about eight days old. I, I like, I prefer forty days, but eight days to forty days. The babies are small. They get them dip in the water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit three times before the child is in, has a chance to even get a gulp. No, don't drown. Maybe sometimes it might go, <clears throat> that's it. What's that? Another church, they sprinkle like, like Catholics. And then the Greeks, a lot of them, they baptise the children at two, three years old. And if they've got weight problems, it's going to be very hard to get them into the font. And they pour water on them. So I said, I wouldn't do that. You tell the priest, if you don't immerse my child three times in the world, I'm not going to get her baptised here. Probably say, no, don't do that. You're going to miss out on the money. So, they say, I can't do that. He's a nice priest. That's just one example. There's so many more. We must not mind insulting men if by respecting them, we offend God. People prefer to offend God than to offend a person. And that's wrong. You think about that. That's St. John Chrysostom. We have to learn when you need to, to speak up. Don't have to go crazy and start screaming. You say, no, that's not right. Like people... Um, when my father died, I've said this example in previous talks, some Greek woman came and she put a cup of water. I go, what's that? She goes, this is before I became a priest. She goes, that's for the soul to drink. And I said, no, 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 no. We don't believe in that. We tipped it out. But someone else would say, oh, I don't want to offend her. So we don't want to offend the magician or whatever she was. But we're willing to offend God and affect the soul of the newly departed person. Because when we do these things, we affect their souls too. Superstition, the body's there and we're doing superstitions. At that time, the soul needs the, the grace of God. The soul cannot receive the grace of God if surrounded, the people are graceless. Number three. Revelation, that's the last book in the New Testament. But people who are cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderous, sexually immoral, sorcerers, in other words, those who practice magic arts, idolaters, those who worship idols, uh, and all liars will find themselves in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Brimstone means sulfur. This is the second death. I'm not going to explain all of that. 
but there was one part in there which is going to be very important for this talk, and people miss it. Did anyone hear a word that I was surprised with that St. John, who wrote this, inspired by God, he said something which people never even would have thought of would be something which would cause us to lose our souls. And that word was, which I've underlined, cowardly. We expect unbelieving. We expect abominable. Those who do atrocious things, murderers, sexually immoral, those who do magic, uh, those who worship idols, liars, well, even the liars are a good one too, will find themselves in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, in other words, in hell. But it's very surprising that St. John includes in that list cowardly as being something which will be an obstruction for us to, uh, to be saved. Those who are cowards. Cowards in what? When we have doctors who were very, very, very well-known doctors before COVID, um, Dr. John, is it John? Dr. McAuliffe, what's his first name again? Peter. Peter, Peter. Dr. Peter McAuliffe and many others who were top. For example, Dr. McAuliffe has published the most peer reviews, I think, in the world. He's so good. But once he started speaking against the vaccine, he became bad. He didn't stop. He went on and he lost job. They slandered him and others. The other one that just died, Dr. Vladimir, what was his second name? Zelenko. He was threatened. He lost money. And when we see the, and he's a, he was Jewish, I don't even know if, if Dr. McAuliffe even believes anything. Maybe, maybe he's not, I don't know. Never, I don't think he's ever shown anything religious. Atheists, Muslims, Jews, some Orthodox doctors, but these are secular people who are confessing the truth even though they've been threatened, they've lost money and things like that. And we as Orthodox are too cowardly to confess the truth just in case our priest does a little dada on your hand or something like that. And these people were persecuted badly. They were threatened, their license, a lot of them had their licenses, their medical license taken away from them, but they didn't stop because they believed that. We have orthodoxy. Now, COVID, yes, there's COVID, the vaccines, which is a secular thing, but, but there is some spiritual significance to those vaccines, which I'll talk about another time. They're very bad. That's why the Holy Father, our, our elders and pious priests are saying, don't take them. And they are important. But it's just to me, uh, we're going to give word to God when we stand in front of him on the last day and he's going to say, did you confess the truth about orthodox, not necessarily about the vaccines, in orthodoxy? Uh, uh, no, I was scared. But these people who are Bible believers, Jewish, Muslims, etc., um, they confessed the truth to do with the vaccine. And they went through a lot. And we have many, many examples of people who um, risked everything, like those truckers in Canada. They risked a lot because they were against the lockdowns. And yet we can't speak up, again, uh, up for orthodox because we're scared a bit. So people who are cowardly are threatened to go to hell. 
Some of us are cowardly from young. Some of us are cowardly because the demons fight us. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we ask God to give us courage. That's why in the prayers, if you read morning and night prayers, and, and uh, grant, O oh Lord, grant me courage. We miss these things. We just go on to other things like big fasts and no oils. So we go to the next one. This one is an unknown. It's, I did see it over the internet. Quite, quite, a peop, quite a few people were quoting it. When, but, I, but, but it's true. When one does not resist in a timely fashion, he gradually becomes incapable of ever resisting again. So if someone does not confess the truth, does not resist evil, <clears throat> leaves it, leaves it off, leaves it off, leaves it off, after he will or he or she will become incapable of ever resisting again. Once you go down that line, and that's what happened with a lot of the priests and bishops, they didn't resist evil, they didn't resist heresy, they kept on going, making excuses in their heads that what they're doing is good for the good of the church. We'll see about that soon. But it wasn't good for the church. It scandalised people. It made a lot of people fall away from the Orthodox Church. It was a big scandal. And they are responsible for those who were pro-mass vaccination. They were responsible for making many Orthodox Christians sick and many to die. They're responsible. Have they said sorry? No. It's all coming out now. It's all coming out that it was all crap. It was all lies. It was all uh, demonic, these shutdowns and all these things, people that are getting sick from the vaccines and dying. There's just From the last time I spoke to you, they did a study and they showed... A list of countries that were vaccinated, so this country up there, the most vaccinated, down, 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 I think Bulgaria, which was the least vaccinated. Then it showed the increase in the death rate. Like, usually they have that many deaths, but what happened was that the death rate has increased in many countries, 25% and more. And they put the list of those countries. Lo and behold, what do we notice? The countries that were the most vaccinated have the highest increase in the death rate and the country which had an increase in the population. What country was that? I said it before. What was the last on the list over here of the least vaccinated? Bulgaria. Bulgaria. Bulgaria was the country that not only did they have not even an increase in the death rate, less people are dying. So this weakness that we have needs to stop from all of us. We all have, we all have it. Now, sorry if I scandalise some because some are very judgmental. Anything that the priest does, it finds an excuse. Oh, look, he drank water while he was doing the talk. Oh, he's fat. Oh, he's this. Oh, too much. <laughs> Better not to come. See, last time it was more people, a little bit more people. Where are they now? Less people today, but still a lot, but less. Why? It was the novelty. Oh, let's go and see this unknown voice on the internet. Let's see who he is. And they come and they go, he doesn't look special. He doesn't look like an ascetic. He doesn't look like that. And he even drinks water while he's doing the talk. <laughs> 
I'm not coming anymore. You'd be surprised. They, that's how they are. Um, number five appetizer, St. Gregory Palamas, that died in 1359, but lives on in heaven. The silence of the clergy's atheism. I read that last time. Some of you weren't here last time. Some of you might have heard it on the talk, on the, on the um, internet. The silence of the clergy's atheism. So when I said last time, those who don't speak up are atheists, and people can say, how dare you say that? How dare you call the priests atheists because they didn't speak up? Maybe it's because it is. Maybe it's because they had to pay their mortgages, so they didn't speak up, and they allowed people to die with the vaccines or they, whatever. They shut the churches down. That's silly. I'm, I didn't say it. There's, there's one of them, St. Gregory Palamas. The silence of the clergy is atheism. And it's so obvious, even in this, in this COVID stuff, that they were saying that there were some churches around the world were using plastic spoons for communion. Some were sterilising spoons. I told people, you will not take your children there. You will not go to a church where the priest is wearing the mask during the service and surgical gloves. And do not stand in the crowd while they are doing that because that's blasphemy and you should be very careful that the roof doesn't fall down and crush everyone. To actually say that the body and blood of Christ you can get diseases. I said before, if anyone should be sick, it should be the priest. Because the priest or the deacon, after the, everyone's con you know, that commune, commune, that could commune a hundred people, that spoon goes in a hundred mouths. There's people with AIDS, there's people with HIV, whatever, there are all these other things that they've got, hep, hep season, what's the one that's dangerous? Got a doctor at the back there. Hepatitis what? Which? Yeah, those ones. They're all contagious. Yeah, very contagious. And yet the priest then, or the deacon, if he's got a deacon serving that day, consumes the rest of what's in the chalice. The body and blood and the particles of Incomera. All consumed. That priest is more vulnerable to be sick. And yet, as I said last time, you will not go to a church where you hardly ever, I've never known it, where you go for a Sunday so they go, oh, sorry, Father so-and-so is not here today. He's got a cold. They should, be, they should become all the time sick, but they're not. That's blasphemy, atheism, etc. St. John Maximovich, who passed away in 1966 and his relics are incorrupt, which is a sign of orthodox sanctity. Now, you might say, but others have relics that are incorrupt. No, no, not like the orthodox. St. Spiridon, as I said, because I knew the priest that was taking care of him for the relics, he said that when they change his, like his black in there because of the, the candelia, the um, oil lamps and the candles that get soot, but underneath his clothes, his body, he said, is still soft, warm and pink. The others, they use wax, the Catholics use wax, etc. Catholics can't even do holy water. They've got to put salt in the water because it will go off. I don't think I even drink it because I'll be very thirsty after. <laughs> they actually, um, they just put, dip their hand in and just splash themselves. But the Orthodox holy water never goes off. That can only be done by an Orthodox priest. No 
one else can do a holy water service. Only an orthodox priest, a canonical orthodox priest, a priest of the Eastern Orthodox Church, not the Oriental Orthodox Church, Coptic, Armenians, etc. They're not part of the church. They do not recognize the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th Ecumenical Council. Don't get confused because they dress like us. Don't get confused if they look pious and they bend their heads a bit. I'll do that for you if you want, but <laughs> it doesn't mean I'm holy. But they're not, they're not the same as us. So St. John says that so his body is incorrupt. The time will come for true confession of the faith. All those who will confess will be alone and persecuted. Be alone. And many of you did feel alone and persecuted during the COVID time. Persecuted by who? Maybe relatives, friends, work. But who else? The clergy. Now, you might say, oh, that's just overdone. Now you're saying that the clergy were persecuted. Of course they were persecuted. They didn't, in Greece, someone just came from Greece and they said there was a church that said, unless you're vaccinated, you can't come in the church. Or no, things like, well, wear a mask or this, or that. It's crazy. Orthodox Greece. Of course, you, people were locked, were thrown out of the churches. That's persecution. Number seven, St. Cosmas of Italia, whose name I was given when I was tonsured as a monk, on his feast days on August 24th. Things will come out of the schools that your mind does not even imagine. What things? Well, let me read you a UNICEF report, 13th of May 2021. UNICEF released a report that proposes that differences in individual children's level of maturity and evolving capacities would come into play when creating an age rating system for regulating child access to sexually explicit content. In other words, the UN says porn, pornography, for kids is fine. So it's good, it's healthy. The United Nations thinks pornography is fine for children and that blocking it would infringe their human rights. The shocking claims were made in a report published by the UN Children's Fund, UNICEF, and exposed on 30th of May 2021 by the Centre for Family and Human Rights, CFAM, C-FAM, a pro-family lobby group of, at the United Nations. This is where it's going, and if you follow some things which some of you don't follow, you will know. Now, I, we put together on, the, on our website, under videos and articles, a section, five sections, section one, two, three, four, five. I'll tell you about them later, but I'll tell you about section five. Section five I just put together now, because while we were looking for COVID articles, videos and articles, there were so many things I came across, and we came across, those who helped me, that were really good, but wasn't related to COVID. But then I decided, why don't we make a special section for those type of things? I'll read you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven titles that we've got on that section five. The dangers of education. This is about a psychiatrist who was anti-homeschooling completely. But he said in the last few years, what he's seen is that, that they've been that been taught in the school about transgender and all those type of things. He says, 
I would advise no one to send their children to school. Item 17, and that's happening here too. So items, but parents still, still send them. Item 17, if parents don't get a grip on their kids, social media, trans activists will. So through their social media and all that, they're doing transgender uh, propaganda. You're a boy, you're a girl, you're not a boy, you're not a girl, you're this, you're it, you're whatever. There's all through all this, there's all, I think they've got about uh, one school's teaching or one university teaching, eight genders, there's eight genders now. Oh, by the way, men can now get pregnant. I was really surprised. It was such a, like a miracle. Men can get pregnant. But the only problem is that these men had women genitalia, so what's going on? They're up because they identify as men. They're women, but they identify as men. So now they're not allowed in these hospitals and I, they're starting not to say mother anymore, but they're starting to say um, parent. I don't, they're using some other words so as not to offend transgender people. Birth person. Birth person. Sorry? Birth a birth person, thank you, yeah. But I read it, but I couldn't remember. Birth person. That includes people with beards. Because they take hormones. Um, number, item 18, video. It's a video. Drag queen teacher transforms classroom into LGBT nightclub. Item 21, because we have this problem with people, you, you, you know, the schools, oh, the state schools are so bad. No, you don't send them to the public schools. Christian schools, Christian schools, Christian schools. And they salivate while they're saying it. Christian schools, Christians, it's one that they don't choke. Why? Christian school. Let's have a look. A Christian school, high school in Manhattan, that's in New York, hosted mandatory drag show a drag show in place of church service. So the kids in this Christian school went for a service and they didn't have no service, but they had a drag show, drag queens, men that dressed up like women. Item 22, New Zealand consent laws under scrutiny after judge says minors can have consensual partnerships. So some guy got caught having sex with a child and he got off, I think, or I can't, I can't remember the full story, but because there was a law which says that if the child consents, then it's okay. Now, I did mention some years ago, I said, it's gonna go down the age. And people found it funny. I go, you'll see, it will go down. Just like I said, when I was a lay person in Melbourne, when I was doing a talk, I said about men wearing earrings. I said, well, now it's one year, after that will be two years. People said, how can that be? They can't, that's women do two years. The man is one year. They wear two now. Another ring in their nose. So, the age of consent is lowering because a lot of the politicians and those in power are pedophiles. So as, as, as such, they want to pass laws where they'll be able to do what they want with children without getting into trouble. So this New Zealand law allowed this man to go free having sex with an underage child. Item 26, Dr Robert Malone, Malone, who's a doctor up there that that's also has been persecuted and slandered. He was working up with a lot of government in the government of America, like high up positions, 
He says, don't send your kids to school, homeschool them, and he homeschools all his kids. He says it's just out of control. Item 27, distraught parents now face prosecution if they don't accept gender transition of their vulnerable kids. As experts slam radical new law based on ideology and false. In other words, they're passing laws that if you, if your child says that it's a boy but it's a girl and you don't, you don't support the child, if a priest speaks to the child and says, no, you're a boy when you're not a girl or something like that, or you send it to a doctor, something like that, you can be prosecuted and go to jail. Because the child knew, from what I read, a child knows that they're transgender from the day they're born. The things that come out of these people's mouths is just unbelievable. And the last one, to leave it off, it's, a, it's um, item 33. New Jersey, in America, Department of Education vows, promises, to punish teachers if they refuse to teach, their, to teach children about gender identity, like to say there's all different sexes and whatever you feel like, and anal sex. They forgot the oral sex, because that's part of it too. That's been going on for quite a few years. And they've been doing these lessons in primary school. But people still send them to um, these schools. Why? Why would they do that? Because there's something wrong with them. That's why. How could you do that? How could you be a parent? In, you know, just think of it. How can you be a parent when you know that the children are doing it? Oh, because I have to work the downsize. Some people say, I, I have to do it because we won't be able to afford things as they get into their SUV or as they dive into their pools. We don't need those things. Those parents who homeschool their children in this day and age are holy. They're sacrificing. No good will come out of those who send their children to these schools. And worse than anal sex and all the rest of it is heresy. When you send your child to heretical schools like Catholic schools and to Protestant schools so they can learn in the Protestant school that the mother of God is not mother of God, she's just Mary. And that Holy Communion is not the body and blood, it's just bread and wine. And that the, the Catholics, that the, Pope, that the Pope is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. And so much more that they learn. But then you might say, oh, but isn't all those things about anal sex and all these dirty things, and all, isn't that worse than heresy? No, 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 no. no. Heresy is the worst. That's what the Holy Fathers tell us. Heresy cuts us off from God. Many of those kids that say though, you know, it wasn't their fault that they went to these schools, a lot of them can come out. I'll give you an example. The pro-choice people, they got into the schools and they brainwashed the kids for decades about abortion, there's nothing wrong with it, it's good, pro-choice, pro-choice, yes, pro-choice, didn't allow the pro-life arguments to be said in the schools, just the pro-choice arguments. 
and they did a really good job of brainwashing all children from as young as you can go. And what happened now in America? Well, the number of pro-life people have become more than the pro-choice people. And the feminists and all the other evil ones, they're saying, pulling their hair, the little that they've got, because they usually cut it short, why? How did this happen? We did such a good job. And that's the same with homosexuality, that's the same with a lot of things. A lot of people, now, now, the young people, I don't know what they call them, Zens, what, what, what's the new group now? One of the letters in the alphabet, the ones that are recent, the ones that have gone through social media, the ones that have got all these ones here. They're saying that young kids today are more conservative than in previous decades. More conservative. In other words, they're against homosexuality, they're against pro-choice, they're against all these things, transgenderism and things like that. And these are kids that were in, that were in the schools and were brainwashed and also were on social media. However, when you look at any area in the world from our history of the church, Orthodox Church, where heresy came into the area and engulfed the Orthodox people, they didn't come back. It's very rare because heresy is disgusting and it's like, you know, some sticky stuff falls on you. You just can't get it off. You can't wash it off. That's the same as heresy. Very hard to wash heresy off you. Very hard. As I said, like in Lebanon and other areas in Syria, wherever these Catholics, whatever, Protestants, opened their schools up, those areas became Catholic. They left orthodoxy. So there's a difference there. Communism is another example. The communists, 70 years of brainwashing, 70 years of the worst persecutions and brainwashing, especially Russia, Albania was worse. But Russia was pretty bad. Romania was bad too, as we'll hear soon. And yet, and yet, what happened after all those years? Oh, the churches are being built again. They had a, they've got a president there who's orthodox, who is supportive of the churches. They, before communism fell, I think there was a certain number, but now it's, I don't know how many, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches, priests and monastics. That's after 70 years of brainwashing. But what happens if Russia didn't become communist, but Russia became... Roman Catholic, well, the Roman Catholics took over and they started their propaganda. So the, the communists started their propaganda, which was atheism. Let's just say the Tsar was knocked out and in his place was replaced with a Catholic king or president. And they started their propaganda amongst the Orthodox populations in schools, etc. What would have happened to Russia? Well, slowly, slowly they would have become Roman Catholic. And what would have happened then 70 years later? We'll say they left. What would come later? They would remain Roman Catholic. They would remain Roman Catholic. That's how bad that is. And yet, 
I had a, a man and woman ring me up from Melbourne after the last talk. Oh, we'd like to come to the next talk. Is that okay? I go, okay, how many of you are? About nine. I said, okay. And you got any kids? Yes. How old are they? He goes, nine. No, no, no. Don't want them to come because they're, they're too young and they're not going to be able to sit for five hours. I go, okay, well, they can stay with their cousin at the hotel. And we're talking about the vaccines and talking about this, having a very nice conversation. Fully, they said, oh, we agree with you, Father, we agree with you, we agree with you, we agree with you. And something said to me, ask them the following, because I, I said, oh, sorry, I forgot. You don't send your kids to um, Catholic schools, do you? They go, oh, yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, we do, unfortunately, we do, yeah. So why would you do that? Because, oh, it's too late now, they're old now, they're U11. Why is it too late for? Why is it too late for? That's no good. So you're sending your kids to heresy, you're paying the Pope to teach them heresy. Not only are they teaching them heresy, you're paying them to teach them heresy with high fees. But have you heard my talks? They go, yeah. Have you heard me talk about that topic? Yeah, Nini, in all your talks, you always talk about it. But you still send them there. He goes, yeah, we don't know what to say. I said, well, I'll tell you. I know what to say. I'll tell you. Number one, I won't be comfortable if you come. I don't want you to come. Don't come. Okay? And don't, uh, don't come remember, don't ring anymore, something like that, Clark. That was it. What an evil priest. Am I? I just told the fellow at the back, where is he? Yeah, here he is, a man at the back there. I didn't know he was even in the group. I said, if you're not Orthodox, you can't partake of the olive oil and the, and the bread and do that. Most priests give it. They give it to anyone. So when I walked, he venerated the icons. That was okay. Then he came past. I said, come here. And he goes, oh, no, I'm, I'm an inquirer. I said, oh, okay, well, you're welcome. But no, you can't take that. But you can take the icon. He goes, okay. And later on we talked. Now I wanted to ask him, I didn't ask him, I don't know if I put you on the spot. Did you get offended? No. Oh, you didn't get offended. Oh, because we're told that, you know, you shouldn't do that because you can offend them. So we're gonna we're gonna tread on the canons of the church so as not to offend the heterodox or things like that. Now that does him good. He has to see that orthodox is holy, and you just can't willy-nilly just come in and walk in and get all that. Well, if that's the case, then you just don't become. And that's what priests are saying now. They even say you don't even have to get chrismated. They're the same, just come, come and commune. That's the stage it's got to. Though not a saint or an elder, the following renowned theologian said something over 20 years ago, which at the time was considered inappropriate, judgmental, horrible, but has now become true. And this is what he said. He's a very good theologian very respected, Father John Romanidis. He died in 2001. Quote, Now the devil is on vacation because his work has been taken over by the Orthodox bishops. His work has been taken over by the Orthodox bishops. Not all of them. Please don't get that. Not all of them the majority of them. As we saw, who could have done such a good job in the Orthodox Church? Even Fauci, if he came, wouldn't have been able to 
and, and Gates and all the rest of them, them, they wouldn't have been able to accomplish what many of the bishops did all over the world, telling people to get vaccinated, and they did. In some of those um, documentaries about, you know, how the Jews and things like that were, you know, they, the, the, the Germans were amazed how they would just line up with no resistance and taken to concentration camps. No resistance, lined up. And they were really impressed by even the order that they had. They just, well, no one resisted. That's what happened now. It was amazing. People were lining up to get vaccinated because Father so-and-so said it. Or Bishop so-and-so said it. If you had a choice to listen to an ecumenist or a person that believes in covetism, that we can get sick from the church, so we call them covetists, like those who believe in ecumenism, that there's no true church of Christ, but when they all join, they'll be the church. Everyone's got a bit of the truth. They're called ecumenists because they believe in ecumenism. Now, those who believe in covetism, which is like a heresy, is a heresy, are covetists. If you had to listen to, say, your priest father, say, John, a person that believes in covetism, or Father Christmas, who would you prefer to listen to? Personally, for me, I would listen to Father Christmas. For sure. And I even might even get a present out of him. <laughs> While the other guy is going to give you something, something different. It's going to give you heresy and a nice, big, fat COVID shot. Right in the arm. It's that bad. This woman just here just told me that a friend of hers, a Greek woman, that she was at a church, and the priest was going, oh, and what was it, Eleni? was like, Eleni, 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 you have to get vaccinated. Like you're watching a scary movie, like a voice. Eleni, Eleni, you have to get vaccinated. That's how bad it's got. Elder Justin Pavu, who died in 2013, was born in a village in Romania in 1919. In 1936, at the age of 17, he entered a monastery. In 1939, three years later, at the age of 20, he enrolled in the theological seminary in the Chernika Monastery. I don't know how to say Romanian things. But it's interesting because last week I said I'm against those theological schools. And a lot of saints also say the same. But there is a difference in that he went to a theological seminary that was at least attached to a monastery, like in America, Holy Trinity Monastery, Jordanville, the Russian Theological Seminary, that's attached to the monastery. So the students live the life of the monks. That's better than going somewhere else. And a lot of theological schools, by the way, have heretics as teachers and atheists. Oh, because they know church history, then they let them teach. It's very, and they have students that are monophysites. So that's what's happening. So... Um, after his repose in 2013, his body miraculously gave off myrrh, which is a sign of sanctity in the Orthodox Church. Regarding vaccines, as several saints and holy elders cautioned the faithful about the harmful effects even of some traditional vaccines. I'm going to talk about COVID. This is before COVID. The blessed elder Justin, who's not an Orthodox saint yet, Pavu of Romania, was one of these elders. Unlike the Romanian bishops of that time who said nothing, 
silence, which St. Gregor Kolmas says is atheism, he spoke up about the swine flu vaccine, which was at that time they were trying to push on the world with a few hundred cases of people that died from it. A few hundred, and they still tried to make it out it was a pandemic. He, he was saying, don't take that vaccine. As it turned out, these vaccines were deadly and the pandemic was fake. Now, I covered this in my, the article that we did online, which is under, um, when you see my name on the right-hand corner and you scroll down, there's on vaccines. There's an article there. 500 pages, 120,000 words that we put, put the effort together. People ring up and they want to speak to me and go, have you, heard, have you read the article? No. I haven't got around to, but, but why are you ringing? It's all there. We went to all that trouble for, to do that article. Some of you, a lot of you read it, but some of you haven't. In there is a lot of information that you need to know as Orthodox Christians today. And um, in that article, in part two, there's a section which says, are there cases where traditional vaccines were mandated, forced on people in the past? Yes. And another one, and a holy elder and 60 minutes speak out against the swine flu vaccine. So an elder separate and 60 minutes even admitted at the end that it was fake and that the swine flu vaccines were dangerous. Part nine in that article is Dr. Wolfgang Wadag, physician, epidemiologist and politician. He's, he's persecuted a lot too. He wrote a lot in there about the swine flu injections and the fake pandemic then, and he compared it to now. He is an authority on pandemics, and yet they knocked him off too. They just chucked him out of, the, um, of his position. So the Holy Elder was correct. Similarly, we also now seen that those clergy and doctors who spoke out against the COVID-19 narrative and vaccines were correct. Now, I'm gonna quote what Father Justin said, many years before COVID and all that, he says, our only weapons are spiritual ones, prayer, humility, love, but also confession. So he says, our only weapons as Orthodox Christians are spiritual ones, prayer, humility, love, but also confession. What does he mean by confession? Does he mean confession when we go for confession? What does he mean? Well, let's see. He goes on. You can't love without confession. Love is sacrificial, and if we fear to confess the truth, not confession of sins, he means confession, confession of the truth of the Orthodox faith. Love is sacrificial, and if we fear to confess the truth, what sacrifice do we have? Or if we do not care about our neighbour who is unaware and we do not inform him and we let him fall prey to, the, to this system, to the government system, etc., what love do we have? In other words, if there are people, like, what compelled me to do the vaccine article? What compelled? Because I saw people were being misinformed and people were getting sick and dying. I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. Now, if I didn't do that, and I know that people were doing that, but I was quiet because I didn't want to get in trouble, which is possible, since I put a lot of them down, a lot of the bishops and that, uh, I'm only fortunate that the bishop here is of similar mind. I mean, imagine if 
they get rid of him and bring someone else here. But anyway, it doesn't matter. What happens if they defrock me? Well, what can I do? What happens if they suspend me? What can I do? People are suffering and getting sick, etc., and dying. That compelled me to say, I cannot do that. I was reluctant, not because I was scared. I was reluctant because I, I just can't do articles very good. I had to get a lot of help from them to do his work. But we put them all together. And he says here, if we don't care about our neighbour who is unaware and we do not inform him and we let him fall prey to the system, what love do we have? And yet people walk around and say, oh, I've got love, I've got love. Well, if you've got love, well, why don't you care about the people? They're in ignorance. For example, there, that book. Does the contraception pill, that's hormonal contraception pills, not condoms, not this other thing, not that. Those pills, whether they're patches, injections, etc., they're called hormonal contraceptives. So, we are now in the process of buying hundreds of them and spread them everywhere. Why? Because hardly anyone knows that the pills that they're taking are causing micro-abortions. People don't know that. And the clergy don't know it. Many clergy don't know that. So I know it because I came across it. So what do I do? Oh, yeah, that's it. And I say nothing. I say nothing. To sit there and um, do my prayers, the little that I do, you know, read a few canons of the saints, read the lives of saints, and that's it. Just take care of you. But I know that that's it now. I know that that's happening. So what should I do? Remain silent and become like an atheist? No. We've got to do something. So I also encourage people who have taken contraceptive pills, and then they need to stop. And they want to repent. They've got to go and confess that they took contraceptive, these pills that could cause an abortion. And they probably have had abortions. Confess it. And then do some, what we say, fruits of repentance. Offer fruits of repentance. What's that? Buy those books, spread them out. If you know something and you don't say anything, it says here, according to this saint, which is a saint, it was not canonized yet, you have no love. Those who will struggle today to awaken their brother, meaning their brothers and sisters in Christ, who have not remained indifferent to the future of a nation, meaning Romania, and the church, those who are the children of the love of God, who lay their lives down for their brethren, it is important to oppose all antichrists and die with dignity not have a, and not have a cowardly position. Don't have a cowardly position. Have courage. It says oppose all antichrists. Not the antichrist, well, he's not here yet. But oppose the antichrist, the forerunners. And those forerunners could be orthodox clergy. That's, the, that's a fact. What do you want to do? To, to lie to you? It's happened in the past. Arius, who said that Christ wasn't God, but a created being, he influenced the whole 
Roman Empire at the time, apart from a few saints that were confessing the truth, like Athanasius and Ambrose of Milan and a few others like that. All the rest fell. They all fell and believed this good-looking, by the way, very charming. Arius was very charming, good-looking, ascetical. Ascetical, not like me. He looked ascetical. And he was gifted with the mouth. He could speak. And he was able to influence bishops and priests and lay people throughout the whole of the empire. The whole empire fell into heresy. And what do the fathers call him? A forerunner of the Antichrist. Because what the Antichrist is going to say when he comes is the same thing. Christ isn't God. The time will come when you will be sold by your shepherds. Saint, Father Justin is saying, the time will come, and this is he said quite a few decades ago, the time will come when you will be sold by your shepherds, meaning the clergy, the orthodox clergy. They will sell you. What's he mean? They will watch you being ripped apart by the wild beasts and they will not come to your help. But who are the wild beasts? Well, it could be heretics or they could be uh, government, etc., that, that are ripping apart the Orthodox Christians and they sat there and said nothing except from a few. Completely nothing. Just think of that. Who spoke up that they were using plastic spoons or sterilising with methylated spirits the spoons in churches? Who spoke up hardly that the churches were closed? There were those who did, but the majority didn't. They sat there and said nothing. Know that these are th those times that are about to fall hard on us. At the end of an American film, it concluded with the message, microchip equals slavery. This is what it means, digital slavery. You don't live anymore. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You are the slave to those that own you. So he was against the microchip. Scientists, scientists that are coming out and saying it. They are saying that they're putting in his nano stuff. Well, it's all on, it's all on the website. St. Athanasius says if the bishop or, or the priest, who are the eyes of the church, behave improperly and scandalise the people, they must be deposed, defrocked in other words. It is preferable for the congregation to assemble without them in the house of prayer than be cast out with them as was Annas and Caiaphas in the gain of fire. So St. Athanasius, and this, this is where people read it and misinterpret it, you can't just take one verse of something without being in the in with the whole orthodox tradition because you'll get confused. So here people can take that and say, see, when the priest is bad and scandalizes and behaves improper, he must be deposed. And if you end up with no priest, then you go into a house of prayer, better to be without a priest than to have um, to end up in hell. Now, firstly, St. Athanasius says it needs to be deposed. And that means that the church might be left with no, with no priest. 
or the priest might take the church, uh, the ex-priest might take the church over and just continue to be a priest so the people can't go there anymore because he's been defrocked. But St. Athanasius didn't say, if that doesn't happen, that the priest is not a priest, that he just automatically gets defrocked. It has to be done by a synod. And you might say, well, the synod can be corrupt. Well, that's correct. But they still don't work on their own. Canons do not work on their own. They need to be applied. And this is where people, and I'm going to show you later on, other saints that talked about corrupt clergy, etc., what to do, None of them said not to consider those people that are doing these things as not priests and run away, open up your own church, go over, stay at home, etc. This is in a different context. He says they must be deposed. Well, if they're not deposed, then they're still priests, regardless if they are doing the wrong thing. They're still priests or bishops. Now, back to that videos and articles, I have, um, uh, five sections. The first section is, is to do with Orthodox saints, holy elders and clergy about lockdowns, vaccines, etc. That's section one. Section two is doctors and others speak out about masks, lockdowns, vaccines, early treatment and COVID misinformation, etc. That is section two. Two. So far, we are up to 1,200 videos and articles. We update it every couple of days. And then when you're there, when you go into that, you can't scroll down. It's just, it takes too long. Just go to a part which says, just underneath the heading, it says, for the latest updates, please click here. When you click there, it takes you to the end of the 1,200. Then you work up. There's a lot of information there by reputable people. Section three, other beneficial orthodox videos and articles, which I believe is um, orthodox material, but not to do with COVID, just general things. Section four is just some um, articles and things that we put together of different saints, their lives and things like that. And section five, which is what I read before, I read around seven, eight titles, beneficial non-orthodox videos and articles. That's about what's happening in the world today but not on the COVID, COVID section two. And religious, orthodox COVID information is a section one. So familiarise yourself with that. Now, in section two, I'm going to read quickly about six titles, just to show you the things that we put on there. Europe suffers horrifying 755% increase in excess deaths among children since the special vaccine for children. Since that was approved, children's deaths have gone up 755%. There's now advertisements on TV about to check your child for heart problems. What heart problems? Well, they're from the vaccines, but they're not going to admit that. Children are having uh, heart attacks, which never was before. And they can't. They're so stupid, or they think we're stupid. They want us to believe, oh, it's nothing it's not to do with the vaccines. And what's it got to do with it? It happened straight after cardiologists... Honest cardiologists that are not scared to say the truth, they're saying that in their practice, children having heart problems started to increase from the time the vaccines came on the market and were given to children. Next one, 
video, Dr. Asim Mahotra, which is another person that speaks up, calls for a complete suspension of COVID vaccines. He's interesting because he was pro-vaccine. He was vaccinated. His father was vaccinated, but died later on. Uh, then he started waking up and when he's, because he's a, he's a cardiologist. And when they noticed the autopsies of people that were dead, he noticed all this, the body full of spike protein. And then later on, he went from a pro-vaccine person to an anti-vaccine, but he's been persecuted too. He's a leading cardiologist in, in the UK, one of the leading. The leading one, the leading cardiologist, which I don't remember his name, he speaks against it too. Item 1189, FDA, that's in America, FDA vaccine advisor warns healthy young people should not get new COVID booster. 1184, undertakers in Australia are on off their feet with the high number of deaths and it's not just because of COVID, the disease. They're running out of space. They just can't keep up. People are dying much more than before. And when did this start, if we ask the undertakers? When did it start? Oh, it started when people started getting vaccinated. 1178, Johns Hopkins, Dr. Macari accuses CDC of the United States of sitting on data to suit their narrative. They had data which shows that this COVID was nothing more than a really bad flu. And they did not, and they were they falsified the data so that they can get, get across what they wanted. And what do they want? They want to depopulate the world and they want to control the world. And they're saying to themselves, we can't wait for Prince Philip to come back. Because we're not sure if reincarnation's true. We can't take the chance. We'll have to do it ourselves. If Philip comes back, that's good. But they've still got Charles and he might actually um, uh, get, get together that military police of, of, for, for the world. That's coming. There are countries where they're forcing people to be vaccinated, they hold them down and do that. So. St. Nicholas, in his prologue, 25th of October, he says, among other mysterious perceptions by the holy souls of the saints, they could perceive, they could sense, discern, in other words, sweet fragrances from good spirits and foul stenches from impure spirits. A spirit that is pure and filled with light gives off a life-giving and fragrant scent, and a dark, darkened and impure spirit gives off a suffocating and unbearable stench. The saints were able to discern which passion possessed the man by the kind of stench he emanated. Those who were progressed spiritually, those who were holy, were able, when a person comes up to them from the smell of the soul, which they could pick up, a lot of people don't, they could tell if the person had the grace of God or was being bothered or under the control of demons. Thus it was, St Nikolai goes on, thus it was that St Epthymius the Great recognised the stench of the passion of lust in a monk. Emilian, in the monastery of St Theoctistos, going to Matins one morning, uh, Epthymius passed by Emilian's cell and smelled the stench of the demon of, the, of lust, sexual passion. Emilian had not committed any physical sin, but he had, at that moment, lustful thoughts, which were being forced into his heart from an unclean demon, a demon whose presence the saint had already sensed 
by its smell within this monk. The power of this perception, St. Nicholas goes on, was even more wonderfully seen once in St. Ilarion the Great, in the life of him. A certain greedy man, a hoarder, a miser, had sent St. Ilarion some of his vegetables. When the vegetables were brought to Ilarion for a meal, the saint said, take it away, I can't stand the stench that's coming from these vegetables. Can't you smell it? It has the stench of avarice, greed. Avarice and extreme greed or desire to gain and hoard wealth, the desire is so great that it never gets satisfied. They just want more and more and more. When the monks, so why would he um, have, have given it to him? Who knows, you've probably thought that he can get more, more things by the saint's prayers. When the monks marvelled at these words, Ilarion told them to take the vegetables and give them to the oxen and see if they would eat them. The oxen sniffed at them and turned their heads away in disgust. So even they couldn't eat it. Why did I bring that up? What's it got to do with um, COVID and heresies and things like that? Well, let's have a look. Saint Ephrem of Katunakia, newly canonised saint, 1998. He died, his feast day is 27 February. Saint Ephrem of Katunakia, Manathos, sent sins as stench. Once a bishop, through someone, asked the Blessed Holy Elder about ecumenism. The elder prayed for God to inform him. This is a special thing. See what it says? St. Paisius talks about that. I was informed by God. It was, it was a revelation by God. They were so holy that they could sense this. We're not. We can't be all the time sure that what we're feeling and thinking is from God. That's why we have humility. Ask God to help us, enlighten us, and, and, and maybe ask someone else, the spiritual father, if he's a proper one, Ask him, and from your humility, God will enlighten you. The elder prayed for God to inform him, and then he sensed a stench with a sour, salty, and bitter taste which filled him with horror. So in other words, when he thought about ecumenism, he smelt a disgusting stench. So in other words... Ecumenism stinks. It's a horrible, horrible heresy. And the majority of Orthodox churches from the top are in the World Council of Churches. St. Yaakovos of Evia, who died in 1991, 22nd of November is his feast day, says the following himself. These are his words. Once a Protestant pastor... I call them pastors. That's a Greek cake. Once a Protestant pastor visited our monastery, when they informed me that this man is a priest of the Protestants, we approached him and took him on a tour of our monastery. Then I ordered that a meal be prepared for him. I did not sit with him at the table, but withdrew into my cell. For this is what the order calls for. What order? Isn't that rude? So this, this pastor came... And the older left. Says, I show him around, give him to eat. But I'm going. I'm going to myself. See? And what would the ecumenists say? Rude. Rude. Arrogant. Horrible. Where's your love? Because the ecumenists believe that they've got love. They hate the Holy Fathers, but they've got love. 
the ecumenists hate the holy fathers of the Orthodox Church. They hate the elders and they hate the saints too if it's contradictory to them. So if a saint says um, we shouldn't pray with heretics, the ecumenists will say, um, he was a bit fanatical. No, 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 fanatical. No, 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 no. We don't do that. I'm telling you now, and I'm going to tell you a story soon about someone that rang me up after the talk, last talk, he was a student of the theological college somewhere in the world. Maybe closer than what we think, but I'll tell you about him soon. What order? He says this is what the order calls for. What? His order, his rule and his monastery. Well, you'll see. The fathers, the holy fathers forbid the common prayer that precedes the common table with heterodox with heretics, or with, with if anyone that's not orthodox, it's forbidden. But maybe that's just him. Father Ephraim, Elder Ephraim, Elder Ephraim, Arizona, Holy, Elder Ephraim, everyone talks about Elder Ephraim. Elder Ephraim, well, in his monastery in Philothel in, in Greece, before he went to America, there was a sign on the door Non-Orthodox are not permitted to sit at the table during the time that the monks are eating and listening to the lives of saints and during prayer before and after. They had to sit in another area. No, not that. He's a saint. He's this, he's that, he did miracles. Yes, that person. And his monasteries followed him. And the proper monasteries in Greece follow that same rule. Now, let's have a look here with Elder Yakovos. In another case, when a Roman Catholic stayed for the night at the monastery, the elder, oh, by the way, in, in these monasteries, like Philothel, Father of Friends monasteries and all that, the non-Orthodox were not allowed to come in the church. They had to stay at the back in the, the back part. They were not allowed to get on Diderot. They were not allowed to be anointed. They were not allowed to have the wheat. They were not allowed to, the qualifier. They were not allowed to have the five loaves like we had today. They weren't allowed. And there were many non-Orthodox which visited my office. Germans, Austrians, other countries. It's just when you go there, it's just so many non-Orthodox people that are coming there. And I tell you one thing: when they leave, they are they don't leave the same people, and many of them convert from that. But the ecumenists say, how can they convert if they're being treated like that? But they do. Only some people here and there get upset. Very few. But if we go with the woke people now, is that doesn't matter if it's a minority, like if it's one transgender person, it's a male, but he thinks he's a female, and he identifies as a female, he can go in there into the girls' dressing sheds and dress in front of them because we can't discriminate because of one person. Same thing. Because one or two people might get upset, we're going to change what the Holy Fathers teach. We're going to say, no, we're not going to listen to the Holy Fathers. We've got more love. Let them come in. Let them have undidero. Let them have that. And even though, let them have Holy Communion too. 
Recently, in an Orthodox church somewhere, a priest proposed that we do a memorial prayer for Queen Elizabeth. A memorial prayer for Queen Elizabeth. I don't wish the woman bad. You don't do memorial prayers for non-Orthodox. You don't commemorate non-Orthodox. You don't submit the names of non-Orthodox in malevolence, in paraclesis, for mimosima, uh, for the dead. Um, we do not do any of that. How do we pray for a non-Orthodox departed person or for an Orthodox person that committed suicide which cuts him off from the church unless they were seriously mentally ill? The Holy Fathers teach us how to pray for them. The priest cannot commemorate them in the liturgy. The priest should not pray for them while he's wearing his liturgical vestments. This is only for Orthodox Christians. Father Seraphim Rose said that. St. John Maximovich said that. So how do you pray? You pray as follows. Lord Jesus Christ, according to your will, have mercy on him. In other words, if it's your will, have mercy on him. It's not your will, don't have mercy on him. That's it. But we don't say that when we're praying for Orthodox. We say, have mercy on their souls, not if it be your will. See the difference? This ignorance. So this priest said to the bishop, oh, let's um, commemorate Queen Elizabeth, like a memorial service. Can't do that. It's not Orthodox. If you care for her soul, and pray privately. Now, some of you want to submit names of non-Orthodox. Well, the way, well, number one, we have a akathist, which is the, the akathist to Holy Martyr Varus. That is an akathist written for those that have departed outside the Orthodox Church. That, that can be suicides too, Orthodox. That's number one. You can pray yourself for them, Lord Jesus Christ, according to your will, grant the mercy. You can also give them to, the, to a monastery, their name, where the, priest, where the monks, as monks, as monks, not dressed up in vestments if they're priests, as monks will pray for them privately. How do, they, how do the monks pray for them? Lord Jesus Christ, according to your will, grant them mercy. That's it. Now, another time, in another case, St. Yakovos says, a Roman Catholic stayed for the night at the monastery. The elder treated him with love. That's all right. Treated him with love. The visitor was a man of good will and had many questions. The elder was answering him with kindness and meekness. At the time, the monastery did not have the large table it has now, and everyone, monks, priests and lay people, had to eat together at a small table on the ground floor where they were there, near the fount. Everyone had been preceded at the table and were waiting for the elder to come to do the blessing of the, for the food. When the elder came in, they all arose out of respect and so that the usual prayer before dinner could be, take place. The elder sat down and told the others to sit down. He made the sign of the cross and started eating. The Roman Catholic was faithful. He was a, like a, uh, a believer in his, in, in, in his religion there. He took the initiative and said to the elder, Elder, shouldn't we pray first? And the elder replied, It's better to keep silent and continued eating. 
Let those who insist on common prayers with the heterodox understand the spirit of the saint. My question is, why with the pastor, he didn't sit with them to eat, why didn't do his cross, he left with the Protestant one. Both the Catholic, who wasn't a priest, he was a lay person, he sat down with him. What, what could the ecumenists get out of that? See, the Roman Catholics are closest with us. That's why the great elders sat with him and ate. He didn't do prayer, by the way, which is what they do. Seems confusing. Is that what it means? Who knows? Does it mean that? Does it mean that the Catholics are closer to us and that's why he sat down with them and ate, even they didn't do prayers? Well, I think the elder answered that. They're both the same. They're both heterodox. The difference is that the Protestant was a pastor and therefore he studied and he knows the history of the church and he knows better. He knows all about orthodoxy, etc. And he should know better. And if he had a good disposition, if his heart was proper, he would have converted from his study, like many other Protestants did, and Catholics, by the way, and converted to orthodoxy. But he didn't. And he wasn't asking many questions, if at all. But, see, the hint is where he says, where the saint says... The visitor was a man of good will. That's important. A good disposition. Wait a minute. Yeah, close the, the thing. The birds are disturbing us. What's wrong with them today? So it says that the man, it's called a good will. That's important. I always look for good will when I speak to people. If they're listening and they're attuned, I'll talk to them. But when they are talking over you and saying this and contradicting, not listening to anything, you walk away or you hang up. He said here, the visitor was a man of goodwill and had many questions. The Protestant didn't. The older was answering him with kindness and meekness. There was something there. And he was a lay person. He wasn't, a, like for example, Roman Catholic clergy. They study, I think, theology for seven years. They know a lot. But they still remain Catholic. So not that he recognised Catholicism, not that he recognised that they were better than Protestants, no, no. He did do the same. He didn't pray with them. When I, because we're doing renovations at the monastery, I have workmen all the time, different religions, etc. And I would sit down with them. So what do I do? Do I stand there and do the, say our Father and then bless the food? And what, do I force them to stand? What do I do with them? They don't believe. That's, that's their business. And even if there's some orthodox Christians there, there are some workers that are orthodox. They go, are you going to bless the food? I said, no, no, it's all right, just do your cross. You do the, I do my cross and eat. That's it. That way I don't get condemned by the Holy Fathers on the last day for praying with heretics or the unbelievers. See how important it is? That's what you do. When you're at a situation where there are people that aren't believers, you don't force on them uh, uh, prayers like Pharisees. Just do your cross and that's it. Leave people free. 
Christ said if, if they want to follow him, they'll follow him. They don't force people. Now we come to what do we say about the parents who send their children to heterodox schools, Protestant, Catholic, etc., Coptic ones, it's Coptic schools too now, to pray with them because part of the condition of going to these schools is you've got to partake in their services, in their, in their liturgies, their mass, etc., prayer and learn religious instruction and do prayer. And as I said before, they even pay the heterodox good money to teach their children heresy, to make their children pray there with, with, with them, which is forbidden by the canons, and to participate in their worship. Many Orthodox children communed. They have to be chrismated. And once you participate in the, uh, the worship of another religion, you've got to get chrismated because you're an apostate. Now, you go to the priest, they'll say, no, no, you don't need to just confess. Yes, for, for lesser things, you know, you've done a prayer, something like that, that's wrong. But when we start participating in their worship, you are being initiated into their religion. Like a woman who told me she went to somewhere where there's Hindus. She went into those um, ashrams, whatever they're called. I said, what did you do there? She goes, oh, we did prayers and bowed down to the little statues and... We offered things. I said, so you participated in a pagan service? He goes, yeah, chrismation. She's preparing now for chrismation. What do you think God to simply observe? Is observing the same as participating? Why do you have to observe? But is it the same as participating? Not really, but you open up the doors to go further because then you become to uh, sympathise with them. Well, it says whoever goes into the church to pray now, if you're not going in there to pray, then it's not the same, is it? However, after a while, the devil will come along and will, we'll, you know, look, that's nice, that's not. Here, I'll give you an example. There's a girl who used to go to youth groups, to an Orthodox youth group. And the teacher of that youth group was um, going to... She was going to leave. She was finishing up. She taught them for a few years. And she was an ex-student of a Catholic school. She went to a Catholic school. And as she was getting emotional and saying goodbye to the girls, and, you know, and she goes, I think back at my school days, and I remember the songs that we sang with the nuns, and, uh, and she was getting all emotional. She didn't say anything about orthodoxy. She didn't say the trepario of the saints, participate in the body and blood, none of that. She was becoming emotional over the songs they sang at the Catholic school. Saint Innocent of Moscow, who was the enlightener of Alaska, in his life, it does say he visited a Catholic church to observe, not to participate. But he's a saint, he was a great man, and um, he didn't fall into the, into the trap. But believe you me, as my deputy used to say when I was in high school, believe you me, after a while, you will fall. Like those people that go to these dialogues with the monophysites, they go to dialogues to find some way to unite. 80 million 
uh, in the world of monophysites. 80 million would be fantastic, the greatest thing for those people to become orthodox. But they stubbornly refuse to accept the fourth ecumenical, and they even have as saints people who we condemned in the Orthodox Church as heretics. They got them as saints, like Severus, Dioscorus, and all these people. They got them as saints. They're not going to give them up. But that would be the greatest thing for that to happen. So they do in dialogue. And John, isn't it? What, what's your name? Yanni, yes, John. And what happened, John, with these people is after a while, they said, as they were doing these dialogues with these people, that, the, that after associating with them, praying with them, being friendly with them, exchanging gifts, etc., that the Fourth Ecumenical Council was a mistake. It was a question of uh, the language, because they spoke in a, you know, a cop, cop language, the Greeks spoke Greek, and there was a... Thing. Even though there was a miracle of Saint Ephemia, that doesn't matter. And even though we know from the past that Saint John, Saint Ephraim the Syrian, was enlightened to understand Greek and speak Greek when he was speaking to Saint John Chrysostom because he spoke Syrian. And when he went when he went to meet Saint John Chrysostom, because the noble, he prayed and he says, "I wish I can understand. I wish I can talk to this great man." And then God enlightened him. He was speaking Greek. So we have all these examples. St. Paisius also understood people of different languages, if you read his life. Well, we also have um, saints or fathers that engage in dialogue with heretics. Did they pray with them? And they would, they would create these... Are you a theological student, well, by the way? No, Okay. But they would, they would create these apologetics. We have apologetics. We have I'm coming to that now. There was no mistake. If God wanted, he could have enlightened them. And that's why he gave the, the miracle of St. Ephemia. But they, they, the monophysites didn't accept it. Now, we go back to the, those apologetics you're talking about. We go back to them. Many of those pyrarchs who in the beginning went for good reasons to speak to these people to bring them back to the church. St. Mark of Ephesus did that as well. He went to speak to the Catholics, etc. And many of the others went there for the same reason. But slowly, 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 they all betrayed orthodoxy except for him. He wouldn't sign. But he was a giant. These people are not giants. They are administrators. They are bishops who are more like administrators. They don't have that spirit that the Holy Fathers did. And even though some Holy Fathers even fell into heresy and then they repented. So that's how hard it is. It's sticky. It's very, once you get it on you, it's hard to get it off. And they betrayed orthodoxy. Now they're saying, no, 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 the Fourth Ecumenical Council, that was a mistake. So it's not the problem of the, John, it's not a problem of having a dialogue. The problem is you don't pray with them. They do. Number two, you don't betray orthodoxy. They do. And number three, to have a spirituality which is a giant, to be on fire with the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Fathers were. These people, they're not like that, and that's why slowly, slowly, they lost themselves. Does that satisfy you, or well, that doesn't really satisfy you? See, the problem with you, I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude, but because you come from the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese, yeah. You've been contaminated. 
So you've got all this sticky stuff on you. Why? Why? Like, is that because is it because I'm special? Some of them, I'm just an ordinary fat person. Why? 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 What's special about me? So, well, um, what makes me different is that I quote the fathers. What makes them different? Oh, look, since we're on the topic, so this theological guy rings up, and he was going to a theological school closer than what we think. So. He rings me up to say that he did a, a lecture, PowerPoint presentation about um, COVID vaccines, he was trying to convince the bishops of his area, there was, uh, maybe five, six bishops there, he was trying to convince them. And he goes, and Father, they didn't listen to me, they didn't listen to me, they don't understand, it's no good, these vaccines and this and that. I go, wow, so this guy's got a lot of zeal, very good. And he's going on and on and on. Somehow then, I started saying to him, why do you go to that school for? Because I'm learning theology. What theology? They don't teach theology. They teach heresy. They don't believe in the Holy Fathers. They blaspheme the Holy Fathers. They say that the others have mysteries. They say that the, that the Pope is equal to the, to the patriarchs of today of the Orthodox Church. They say that the Fourth Amendment Council was a mistake. They say, they say, they say. Not once did he say to me, no, they don't, which means they do. He was oof, enlightened. The wisdom was pouring out of his head and through the phone, because I was on the phone. <laughs> and after he thought that the vaccine was good, then he went on to theological things, and he says, similar to what we just heard, uh, but, but, but this, but that, and this and that. I said, what? see, I said, see how you're contaminated? And I said, uh, we don't pray for heretics. But they condemn Christ for going to the sinners. I said, where do you get this stuff from? Is this from the Holy Fathers or is this from the make up the name George? He goes, a bit from George and a bit from the Holy Fathers. So this idiot, this poor person was putting himself on the same level as the Holy Fathers. A bit from the Holy Fathers and a bit from George. He talked about himself, in other words. And plus, his spiritual father, who's a doctor, was telling him that he should get vaccinated. So I said, George, 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 just stop, stop, stop. I said, you're talking over me. I can't, I'm not going to argue with you. I haven't got time. Listen, two bits of advice. One, go and find another spiritual father because the one you guys are heretic and is an ecumenist too. And number two, get out of that theological school before you lose your soul. Pluck! And that was it. Are you shocked? Is it rude? Read the lives of saints and you'll see that what I've said is not rude. Papa, can I ask you a question? Yes. Um, you talked about the sticky stuff. Like once, some, once you have the sticky stuff on, mm -hmm. it's hard to get it off. How does a patriarch, for example, who is an ecumenist, justify to himself that what he is believing and sprouting is correct when he really knows the truth? How does he justify to himself? Because you can con people, but he knows he's conning God and betraying and leading a lot of people Saint Paisius says that when someone treads on their conscience, after a while the conscience becomes poromenal, which is in Greek, becomes hardened, and they can't come out of it. Hard as a rock. 
They've got no conscience. A lot of it is dead, yeah. Now, up to when were they able to still come out of it? I don't know. Whether they've gone past that, they, God knows. But St. Pai used to say, the more that, and as the other one says, when you don't resist evil, after all, you can't resist at all. These people sound more like um, environmentalists, vaccine um, um, uh, people. What do you call them? Fiber visor reps and things like that. They don't sound like bishops anymore. One patriarch was uh, uh, took pictures of him planting trees because he's now an environmentalist. There's nothing wrong to be care about the environment. Saint Cosmas talks about the environment. Saint Paisius talks about the environment. That's not the point, but not at the cost of you throw all everything orthodox away. Father Epiphanius Thodoropoulos, a Greek confessor in Greece, he used to confess people, very holy person. We have his book at the back, Councils of Life. Excellent. A woman came to him and says, Oh, Father, my daughter had to have an abortion because she had sex, you know, and she wasn't married, and it's resili uh, means embarrassment, and there's nothing else we could do. And he stood up and he threw off the pedrilli, what he's wearing. He said, No, no, I'm not going to agreed to this and he took it off and he left that's rude no because what she was doing she was going father that's and she had to do it and she, she was not the thing to, and they do like that and what do a lot of priests do um oh, understand and forgive and that's it so the parents today are paying for their children to go to these catholic schools and protestant schools and they will give word. It's forbidden. If Elder Yaakov was, didn't even do prayer, and Elder Frem and all the other saints would not even do one prayer with the heterodox, how much more to participate, not to observe, which I still wouldn't agree, I wouldn't advise it, but not to participate at all in anything. And also they're forced to say the creed, and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. They say it the wrong way. That's heretical. We have thousands and thousands of saints that died to keep the creed intact. So what happens now? Oh, oh, I didn't even know. Um, I don't, I, sorry, yes. Well, firstly, we have to realise which is worse, heresy or that. So we've established heresy is worse. So that's out of the question. The second thing now is the public schools. I said that um, people are coming out of the public schools defiled, but there's chances they can get out of it. And that's why we saw in Russia and now with the... the and even with the transgender movement, you'll see after a while, a lot of young kids are going to reject it. It's, it's in their conscience. So... It's not the same as participating in worship, but it's still wrong. But there's still a chance that those people will come out of it. But why send them there in the first place if there's a chance? What happens if they don't come out of it? Number, number two. Number three, I read, I read a letter to Elder Ephraim's monastery to ask, what did the Elder Ephraim say about schools? Is it better to go to, to, go to a religious school or a state school? And I got the answer, which was fantastic. Neither homeschool. Just homeschool. That, that, that was the oldest mistake. Don't go to any of them. Just be homeschooled. 
Now, some of you might be smart and say, but what happens if you don't? Everyone's got to examine their own quota. I'm not here to examine your quota. If you want me to, I can sit down and ask you questions privately, and we'll see. How much money do you have? How much equity do you have on your house? Can you afford it? What, what type of thing it is? Like today, oh, Father, ring up. Father, there's nothing I could do. I had to get injected for my family. So in the lives of saints, that, that they, didn't, they didn't compromise. They didn't compromise, and we glorify them. We kiss their icons, etc. pray to them. But at the same time, we say it's okay to compromise for reasons that we just said, for whatever, money, for this, for that, doesn't make sense. And remember that the vaccines are all linked to fetal cells, that's just one thing. But we have our elders, not patriarchs and bishops, elders who in unison say not to take the vaccine. Not because I say it. And not only that, even we have doctors in the world that aren't even elders they're medical, maybe you can call them medical elders. They are against the vaccine. Good doctors that have been persecuted. We're going to learn later on from St. Ignatius Branchinov in his arena book that he says that pre proper people will get persecuted. Those who are following God will be persecuted. Or maybe we can maybe have a little bit of a similarity. Those who are following the true medical science will be persecuted too. So we've got much, much more to go. That's, um, we're not going good today for the, for the quantity, but anyway. Uh, but for order, next time, Jonathan, John, we want people to put their hands up. That's because I know you're used to it from your church. Here, no one calls out. You put your hand up and... If I'm in the mood, I'll, I'll, I'll acknowledge you to speak. But if I'm in the middle of a thought, I'll come back to you later. But no one is to call out. When, this is not the Greek archdiocese. I don't like that. I never liked it as a teacher, and I don't like it now. It's disorder. St. Paul says there must be order. If everyone starts calling out, what's going to happen? Or people bring their kids in, they're running around, the priests just sit there and keep talking. And the kids are playing, running. How are people going to concentrate? They're humble. They're humble priests. See, they take it because they're in prayer. And I said once to a priest, there's all these people walking around. He goes, oh, if you were praying, you wouldn't even notice it. All these satanic type of excuses because people are weak. That's a weakness. So if I sat here and allowed people to run around, call out, etc., would you be able to concentrate? No. That's why you come, because you appreciate the order. You appreciate it. I had a couple, they're catechumens in America, they wrote to me, and I told them to go to church somewhere, and I said, go, go to that church, I think um, the priest is really good. They went there, and they were scandalised because the priest said nothing and people were walking around and talking while he was doing the sermon. They couldn't hear. And they were shocked. And they go, oh, Father, he doesn't tell them anything like you do. That's why on purpose, I leave in the recordings when I tell people off. I do on purpose. So people can hear and know 
That is the right way. You do not allow disorder. On that, you're welcome to the sandwiches. Those who want to escape from Alcatraz, they're welcome as well. Have the sandwiches for the trip. Okay, quickly now. Do 10 minutes or something. Our friend at the back, what's your name again? Domna. Is that right? She's very interesting. She was part of the Syrian church. Assyrian. And if I'm correct, Assyrian church is one of the Oriental Orthodox, is it? Nestorian. Oh, Nestorian. So Nestorian don't recognize the third ecumenical council. The Monophysites don't recognize the fourth ecumenical council. So anyway, uh, she came to Orthodoxy, which is good. And um, she said that when she was here last time, there were some people that she overheard and also the bookshop that she goes to, that there are people that are running to this bishop. Is he a bishop? A bishop of the... Well, Father, he's actually... He's cut off from his church. Oh, he's cut off even, right. So there's, yeah, there's an ancient church in the east and he's cut off from there. Okay, what... And what was his church? Um, so the ancient church of the East. Ancient church. Yeah. Of the, Syrian, ancient. What do they believe? Who knows? It doesn't really matter. He's not, he's not Orthodox, but he calls himself Orthodox, does he? Yes. Did, did they call themselves Orthodox? He says he's Orthodox. Yeah. So what, she, this, what was overheard and people... And I've heard this from others that rang me up too, that there's, oh, there's this priest up in Wakeley near Fairfield and Bishop, and he talks against COVID, and people go to his church. Now, I'm sure the man has zeal, probably got a lot of guts too, and speaking up, etc. but he's not orthodox. Now, you might say, well, what's the difference between listening to him or listening to Dr. McAuliffe? Well, McAuliffe is not talking about religion. The people, this man is a heterodox He's not part of the Orthodox Church. I'm not going to refrain from talking about things that are not right because it doesn't sound nice. I said, he might be a nice person, but he's not Orthodox. And people go to his church, listen to the sermon, which is okay if it's just COVID, but you can't go into the church because he's doing prayers, etc. And he's talking about religious things too so why don't people come here for example i'm talking against covid why don't they come here i'll tell you why why aren't the orthodox people coming here and the answer is because it's orthodox and they want to go to where there's heresy their souls are inclined to heresy it's as simple as that that's why they don't come here from the spiritual meadow which is a book by St. John Moscus. St. John Moscus was born around 550. He was a Byzantine monk and a serical writer. He's commemorated together with St. Sophronius of Jerusalem on March the 11th. Now, this is what he writes in his book. We once paid a visit to Ava Kiriakos, the priest at the Lavra of Kalamon on the Holy Jordan River, and he told us this story. Now, Ava 
is similar to what we say geronda in Greek, elder in English, starets in Russian. So when we read the word ava, they're usually referring to the fathers from Egypt, Palestine. One day in my sleep, I saw a woman of stately appearance dressed in purple and after her I saw two reverend and honourable men standing outside my cell. It seemed to me that the woman was Our Lady, the Mother of God, and that the men were with her were St John the Divine, that means the Apostle, and St John the Baptist. I went out of my cell and invited them to come in and offer a prayer in my cell. But she would not agree to my request. So Ava Kiriakos himself is talking about himself, what he saw. He had a dream and he saw the mother of God. And in the dream he said to her to come into my cell where he lives. Um, I went out of my cell, invited them to come in and offer a prayer in my cell. But she would not agree to my request. The mother of God said, I'm not coming into your cell. I persisted at some length, begging her and saying... Uh, let the simple not go away ashamed, Psalm 73, 21, and much else. When she realised that I was persistent with my invitation, she answered me coldly. The mother of God answered coldly. And yet people say the priest shouldn't be abrupt, the priest shouldn't be cold or something like that in certain things. The mother of God was cold. Why? Let's have a look. When she, when, when she realised that I was persistent with my invitation, she answered me coldly, saying, the mother of God said, how can you ask me to enter into your cell where you have my enemy in there? With these words, she went away. You have my enemy in there. When I awoke, said the elder, I began to worry and to wonder if I might have offended her in my thoughts, for there was nobody in the cell but me. He says, who's, who's, your, who's her enemy? Uh, there's no one in there. I examined myself at some length, unlike a lot of Orthodox Christians today, that don't examine themselves. Part of us being Orthodox is we examine ourselves. Are we doing the right thing? Sometimes people just don't think about themselves. They don't have self-knowledge. I examined myself at some length and couldn't find no fault which I might have committed against her. There are certain mental illnesses, and one of them is that the person does not have self-criticism. They can't look at themselves. They can't examine themselves, which probably is linked a lot to pride as well, because the proud don't want to look at themselves. I noticed that I was about to be overcome with remorse, guilt. It was going to become hopeless. I rose up, took up a scroll, in those days, that was their books, it was a scroll. Intending to read it, thinking that perhaps reading would alleviate my distress. That's a good lesson for us. When we are in distress, we should read spiritual books. That helps us. But instead, we go and do films or read worldly things or go out. Nothing wrong with some of those things, but the best as St John of Cronston says too, is to alleviate your problems with prayer and with spiritual reading. It was a book I had borrowed from Ezekiel, a priest from Jerusalem. So he took up this, we'll just call it a book, it was a scroll, but it was a book that was given to him by another holy person. 
I untied it and found two writings of the irreligious Nestorius. What a coincidence. Written at the end of it. And immediately I knew that he was the enemy of Our Lady, the Holy Mother of God. In other words, the book was completely orthodox, the scroll, the parchment, all orthodox. But at the end, there was two quotes from Nestorius, who was condemned in the Third Ecumenical Council for saying that the Mother of God gave birth to a human, not to God-man. That he, she just had someone special, like one of the prophets, one of the, something like that. So I rose up and went off and gave the book back to him, who had given it to me, and I said to him, take your book, brother, for I have received from it more trouble than benefit. Yes, there was good things in there, but there was heresy. Milk, nice glass of milk. Looks nice, white. And you'd like to drink it, like really refreshing milk. But there's a couple of drops of poison in there. What's going to happen? Well, if it's strong enough, you're going to die. So, this book that he had was all orthodox, orthodox, orthodox. Two quotes from Nestorius. When he asked me how it had caused me trouble, I told him what had happened. When he had heard about it all, he immediately cut the writings of Nestorius off from the scroll and threw the piece into the fire, saying, The enemy of Our Lady, the Holy Mother of God, shall not remain in my cell either. Why am I doing all these heretical things today on ecumenism? Because last time I spoke more on covetism. Not much on ecumenism. Someone said that, oh, you didn't speak much about ecumenism. And he's like, well, I'm making up for it now. That's why I like getting feedback. The enemy of Our Lady, the Holy Mother of God, shall not remain in my cell either. And yet at ecumenical gatherings where they do prayers together, who are also present there? Nestorians. Nestorians are present. and sheikhs, and Jews, and Muslims. Are we supposed to hate those people? No. But we're not allowed to pray with them. We're not allowed to participate in their services. Then someone asked before, I think it was Georgina said, I think it was you, then why do they do it? Is that what you said? Why would they do it if they know? Well, my, and my answer to you is, if you saw a blind man walking and he fell down, would you, would you say he did it on purpose or that he's uh, stupid or something? No. no. He's blind. They're blind. They are blind. And you know what? I used to say they're worse than bats. No, sorry, they are like bats. But I've changed my mind now because I read that bats can have good radar and they can... Um, they can see, they can, through their radar. These people have lost everything. Now we go to another one. The virtuous monk who held a disgusting faith. What's going on there? So, this is also from St. John Moscus. 
This is what I was trying to say to our friend. I don't know if he's still here. Are you still here, John? I was trying to say before, this is not being taught now in a lot of Orthodox churches, these things. They find these books backward. St. John Moscus, little stories, and no, we're not interested in that. We're going to do theological things, great things. This is the story, the story of Ava Theodore about a monk from Syria. And now, here, I've got it here. So we say Ava for a mother, or Yerondisa. I don't know in Russian how you say Staritsina. Anyway, it's Ama. So Ava is Yeronda, elder, and Ama is mother or eldress. Yerondisa. Ava Theodore also told us the following. One day, the man in charge of a guest house invited me to go and stay there for a few days. When I got there, I found that one of the guests staying there was a monk from Syria who owned nothing except a hair shirt, a few loaves of bread. Hair shirt means that he wore a shirt, a shirt made out of hair, which was really itchy. And people used that as a, for sedical. They used to bleed. So they were ascetics. Why don't we do hair shirts? Do I have a hair shirt? No, I've got a nice cotton shirt on because I'm allergic to synthetics. So I wear cotton. But that means you're not an ascetic. I don't claim to be. I don't claim to be. Why would I do that? Why would I wear a hair shirt? So I can get proud. But why'd they do it, the, the, the holy people? Because they had already reached a high level of humility. So they were doing this additional thing of fasting and... Uh, sleeping on the ground, etc., etc. They had already reached a high level of humility. Today, people don't even know what the word humility means. And they're doing, they, they read books and they try and do the same thing. And they go around in the world with blood on their back from their hair shirts. But they're um, deceived. Yes, these saints did do that. But they had already reached. Some of them went out and uh, kept silent. They stayed out and in the sun or in the snow, but they had reached a high level of humility. We have not reached even a little bit of humility. And people want to live like that. Anyway, so this monk, he owned nothing except a hair shirt and a few loaves of bread. So, and we have many saints that did that. They, were, they gave up everything, no material things, suffered with their hair shirts, ate only a little bit. He was standing in a corner saying psalms day and night. That's another big thing. Can we do that? Well, I can't. And speaking to no one, even had the gift of silence. So he was, had the gift of silence. He was praying day in and day out. He stood there in the corner, not sitting down, and he had a hair shirt, and, and he ate only a little bit of bread. And we have saints that, that were like that. When Sunday came, I approached him, says Ava Theodore, I said, come with me, brother, to St. Sophia. That was St. Sophia of Constantinople, a church called St. Sophia, which was um, um, close to where this guest house was, so that you can partake of the holy and venerable mysteries. He said he would not come, so I asked him, why not? I am a follower of Severus, and I do not commune in the Orthodox Church. Now, Severus was a monophysite who rejected the Fourth Ecumenical Council. More on him in a minute. 
and the monophysites. He was not part of the one holy Catholic apostolic church. He rejected the fourth ecumenical council, which was later on reconfirmed in the fifth and the sixth and the seventh said, anathema to whoever doesn't follow what the fourth ecumenical council says. What did they declare? We'll see in a minute. So it's enough to say he's a heretic. He wasn't part of the church. So he didn't want to commune. Even though today, now they've changed now. They've liked, now they're saying, oh, monophysites can come and commune and orthodox can go to them and that, 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 these, these agreements that they do. If you see a, a monophysite communion in your church, you shouldn't go to that church. You tell the priest, did you know he was a monophysite? Don't be rude, be very polite, respectful. I can't come to the church if you're going to be communing uh, heterodox. If he says no, I'm going to uh, continue and say yasu, bye-bye. I'm being told that he would not commune in the holy and apostolic church and yet being aware that he seemed to have an excellent way of life full of virtues. I went away grieving to my cell and shut the door. By the way, those people that were scandalised when I sent them to that church because everyone was talking and they were, they wrote a letter to the priest very, very nicely. And the priest told the people what had happened and told the people off for what had happened and said that people were scandalised. That was good, see? It was done nicely. Now, this avar, this elder, um, he was a bit confused because this monk from Syria had an excellent, that's the way he described it, an excellent way of life, full of virtues. And I went away, grieving to myself, and shut the door. I prostrated myself before God for three days and prayed with many tears. Why was he upset? What made him upset? Now, there's two scenarios. The first one, which can be used by the ecumenists, the elder was upset because he wanted the ascetic to commune in the Orthodox Church, even though he was a heretic, and even though um, he believed in Severus, who was anathematized by the church. That's what the ecumenists can say. Because the elder says, look, look how holy his life was. He had an excellent way, full of virtues. He prayed day and night. He stood continually. He had a hair shirt. He had a bit of bread and water. This man was virtuous. That's what people say when they look at the Copts and other heterodox. They say, wow. And they do. Oh, they fast a lot. They fast, I think, more than the Orthodox. They're really big fasters. And they look very virtuous. So that's one argument. So, in other words, for that first argument, I forgot to say that if he's leading such a holy life, he must have the grace of God. What does that mean? If he's got the grace of God, if he's doing all these virtues, then perhaps Severus was wrongly accused. Maybe the church made a mistake and condemned him. Maybe the, the ecumenical council which condemned that heresy of Severus was wrong. There's no way that this man cannot be holy after he's doing all those things. What did he do? Hair shirts, some bread, 
bit of water. I have eight glasses. I try to have eight glasses a day, so I wouldn't be classified as an ascetic because they, ascetics only had a little bit of water. And uh, they ate a little bit of bread. I assure you, I just don't eat bread. He stood all day. No, can't do that either. It's very hard for me. And he was praying with tears. Sometimes it's hard to get a little drop from me. I'm sure, you have the same problem. Actually, the saints that wrote the, the, wrote the service books would say, I'm dry, and please grant me some tears and things like that. They used to say the same thing. The second explanation may be that he's upset that he's not part of the Orthodox Church and that his soul and those who follow Severus's heresy will be lost. That's another explanation. Because he looked up to him. So my question I pose to people is, what is what's, what's he crying about? Well, if we go on with the story, we'll see. And then the elder said, um, I prayed as follows. Christ our God and ruler, who of your immense and ineffable mercy turned from heaven and came down for our salvation, who became flesh of our most holy Lady Theotokos and Ever-Virgin Mary. Show me who has the right and proper belief. Us, the Orthodox, who belong to the, Holy Ch to the Orthodox Church, or those who follow Severus. Now this, one can say, is like blasphemy. He had doubt. This great elder had doubt because when he saw this man how he was virtuous, in inverted commas, knocked him around. And he's a, an avar, he's a ascetic, and he got confused. So if he gets confused, then what's going to happen to those bishops who have contact with these heterodox and talk with them and pray with them? They're going to say, oh, the Fourth Ecumenical Council was a mistake. That's why we're not supposed to have association with those of other faiths. But what does that mean if you live in Australia? They're all around. We work with them, they're at school, etc. If, if those who are still at school, what happens then? I have association with them at the monastery when we're doing work. There's people there, unbelievers, Catholic, this, that. What do we do? I even had a Muslim. He used to be a Muslim. Then he became an atheist. So he was an atheist Muslim. But he said, if he was to change, he would become orthodox. What did he say for? Because you were preaching to him. No, I didn't preach to him at all. I was just nice to him. And he goes, if, if I was ever to change, I would become orthodox. My friend, when before I changed, I changed around 25 years old. So I had a friend. He was Catholic, but he, he wasn't religious at all. He said, he said to me once, later on when I became religious, I stopped hanging around with him after that because he was on drugs and things. And he, he said to me, if God is so great, why does he want people to worship him? Those stupidities. Where did he get that from? The demons inspired him. Just stupidities. But I didn't tell him off. It's just like I knew he was just confused. 
Anyway, I said to him, um, I said to him, let's make up a name, Michael. Say, Michael, look, I did some talks, because I was still a layperson then, I did some talks in Melbourne, and they're all on cassettes, back in those days, the cassettes. I said, would you like to listen to them? And he said, okay. So I gave him the talks, and then he listened to them. I was surprised. I'm really surprised. This guy had not one ounce of anything religious at all. I don't think, I think the last time he went to the Catholic Church, probably when he was baptised by them. Uh, and I said to him, so what did you think? And he said, I can say from what I heard and the way that the Orthodox Church is the true religion, but I can't convert because I can't give up my life. In other words, he wanted to continue having drugs and sex outside of marriage, etc. But he said that. Another guy, Catholic, was married to an Orthodox. These Lebanese, they mix, 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 mix marriages. And uh, he, when I used to go, they used to say, oh, the Orthodox and the Catholics, this, and I used to always they say stupid jokes. I went there to buy tiles. But during the process, I had to listen to him making jokes about the Orthodox and the Orthodox and the Catholics are better. And I, I said, can I ask you something? I think his name was James, and he wasn't a chauffeur. I said to him, can I ask you a question? Because he says, I, I go to Orthodox churches for marriages. Because as I said, the Antiochians, whew, they mix weddings, baptisms, just the whole thing's all a mess. And he says, I go to the um, Orthodox church because some of my relatives are Orthodox. I go, okay. So can I ask you something, James? What do you feel is the difference when you are in an Orthodox service compared to a Catholic service. And he said, oh, in the Orthodox Church, I feel God. In the Catholic Church, I don't feel anything. That's what he said. So we can't mix. When people come to me, I have a point. I do not talk about religion. They're very impressed. Because they think, because I'm a priest, I'm going to start talking religion. I don't talk to them religion at all. I had a relative who used to come and do work, and he said, oh, can we have a religious debate? No, I'm sorry, I can't. He goes, why? When I go to the Greek, another Greek church, uh, the priest all, oh, we talk and we have debates. I said, no, no, I don't debate. No, I'm not going to debate. But when, but when the time came and it was a bit, you know, years later, I found a little opportunity and started saying some things to him. People are impressed when you don't Bible bash and do fanatical things like that. So I could be there with these people, but some people have been coming now for years, like my Tyler. He's a Catholic but doesn't believe much. He hates the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church in Spain, they betrayed his father during confession. His father confessed and the priest went and told the government and the government put him in jail. He hates the Catholic Church. And um, I never talked to him about religion. Never. If he asks and he's got a good disposition, I'll talk to him. If not, I'm not going to talk to him. And he's been coming now to our monastery and doing the tolls for 25 years. He doesn't have a good disposition to listen to anything. So why should I do anything? 
And I think he respects me because of that. He's very respectful. He calls me father. This he's very very nice, but he doesn't believe. That's okay. The Muslim didn't believe in it ever, but he even said that the orthodox is good. So this poor monk at the time, Elder Theodore, got confused, and he asked God to show him who's got the truth. And that's not praying with this man. He didn't pray with the Syrian. He didn't talk to the Syrian. He was just impressed with the Syrian's ascetical life. And he got knocked out, topsy-turvy, got knocked out completely, and he started to have a bit of doubt, what's going on? Like a lot of you get mixed up. I've had thoughts too, I go, what's going on? Like, oh, very, they look very good. And this, but what's going on? Well, on the third day, a voice with no visible source came to me saying, go, Theodore, and you will see the Syrian monk's faith. You will see it. So the next day I went and sat near him, waiting to see something to explain the meaning of what, what the voice had said. I sat there for an hour watching him as he stood, reciting verses in Syriac. So that would have made it so it goes, I'm, I'm not seeing anything contrary. I'm seeing this man's still praying. This man's still praying. He's standing and still praying. As God is my witness, I saw a dove hovering over his head, as black as soot, as if it had flown down the chimney, dirty and run down. I realised that his faith was just like this sooty and disgusting-looking bird and I could see, that I could see. This holy soul truly told us all with this many tears and sighs. In other words, all because someone holds external characteristics of being holy, it doesn't mean they're holy. What did Christ say? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we preach in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name, etc. He says, go away. I don't know you. I don't know you, Christ says. You're not going to be saved. But, 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 we did all these things. You're not going to be saved. Why? Why? Because you have to have, in, in that case with Christ, belief that Christ was the Messiah, that Christ was the Son of God, that Christ was God, and only through him can you be saved. Today, and by the way, John Moscus is considered a holy father. In other words, the whole Orthodox Church is bound to believe in him, to believe his writings. He's a holy father. That's what the definition of holy father means. Not everyone's a holy father. A martyr might not be a holy father. Or an ascetic on Mount Athos, he lived a holy life, he died. And even if his relics are incorrupt, even if his neighbours give off myrrh, what's the definition of a holy father? People think, oh, one who confesses the faith. No, because St. John of the Latter is considered a holy father and he didn't write anything about heresy. He only wrote about ascetical life, but he's considered a holy father, such that on the fourth Sunday of Lent, we commemorate him. The whole Orthodox Church, every Orthodox Church in the world, commemorates St. John of the Latter. He's considered a holy father because he has given to the church teachings for the benefit of souls, 
universal. Everyone believes nothing that he wrote was wrong. It's been accepted by the church. So St. John Moscos, St. John Damascene, St. John Chrysostom, you don't have to be a hierarch. You don't have to be a clergyman. You can be even, you can be even just a monk. And you don't have to be speaking about just dogma. You can be just talking about spiritual, like St. Isaac the Syrian. We have a whole book of his, a very thick book, Seroku uh, Homilies. He did not speak about heresy, but he's considered a holy father by the whole Orthodox Church. That's what a holy father is. So St. John uh, Moscus is a holy father. Now, St. Paisios, is he a holy father? Well, the way it's going, his teachings are now being read universally by nearly everyone in the Orthodox, like they've been translated into so many languages there, and his teachings are beneficial. So he could be termed as a holy father. On the level of the great fathers. Some fathers, yes, they wrote theological works, but not all of them. So don't get mixed up with that. They don't have to be bishops, they don't have to be clergy, and they don't have to have, be confessing the true faith. They can just be talking about even spiritual life. Something which is going to help the Orthodox Church as a whole. And St. Paisa's works are being read by nearly all different people in the whole Orthodox world. So the truth was that this Syrian monk was a heretic who followed a heretic who was condemned by the Fourth Ecumenical Council and even though he looked externally very spiritual and very holy, his soul was black as soot because heresy blackens us. But we're not told that anymore. Priests today are signing papers from the Catholic schools or the Protestant schools. The people go to the schools and say, I want to enroll my child in the school. And they go, okay, take this form, take it to your priest. What, what religion are you? Orthodox? Oh, that's okay. Just take it to the priest and get him to sign it, that you are part of the church, that, you, you know, that you're an Orthodox Christian, whatever, and bring it back to us and we'll accept you. And the Orthodox priest today, oh their hands becoming paralysed with how many signatures they're doing. Signing, 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 signing. We have one, I won't say where, an abbot. An abbot. And people say, oh, this of the saliva again. Oh, <coughs> oh he's fantastic. He's, he's so holy. He looks like an Athenite monk. He's really, really good. Yes, and... Ah, oh, in confession, he told us to take our child out of the Orthodox school and put it into a Catholic school because they're better. Another abbot, I won't say where, said to people to send their kids to Coptic schools because they're really good. They're very pious, go to Coptic schools. And then you wonder why God is permitted this tyranny that we're going through today is because of, mostly because of heresy. Not immorality as much, that's bad too. Heresy. So who was Severus? This her the heresy which this deceived monk followed was that of, the, was that of Severus of Antioch. I think, I think he was patriarch. He is the founder of the Syriac Jacobite Orthodox Church. Severus 
and the heresies he held have been condemned by the fourth and later on recondemned by the fifth, sixth, and seventh. Four ecumenical councils condemn the heresy of the monophysites. And yet we have these beasts today, these beasts that are saying to us, orthodox beasts, that are saying to us that the fourth ecumenical council was a mistake. Now, some of you might say, that's terrible how you speak. You call an orthodox bishop a beast. No, I'm not, no, no, no. The saints call them beasts. I'm just repeating their words. And that's a very soft word, beasts. Remember when we read last time of that monk, of that bishop that was, um, uh, they had a really nice bishop and the people didn't listen? And then they, then they had this really, uh, this bishop that was horrible, treated them horribly, taking their money, using, uh, it was a really terrible bishop. And even they got shocked at the end. These people that were leading sinful lives say, oh God, why, why did you give us this monster? This monster, Gregory. They use the word monster. Not Herman monster, a real monster. Then God spoke to the people and said, well, he didn't say one thing. How dare you call your bishop a monster? Did he say that? No. Did a saint appear and condemn them and say, why did you call him a monster? You're monsters. No. God said, I couldn't find a person worse for you. I couldn't find a bishop that's worse than him, so I had to give you that one. In other words, God agreed that he was a monster. And today we have many monsters. You don't have to watch sci-fi movies anymore to look at monsters, and because some of you like that type of stuff. We have them in the church, they're right in front of us. See, that's another thing. Remember what I said before, what that saint said, St. John Chrysostom, do you prefer to offend God than rather to, to offend another human? So in other words, in my case, I should say, I'm not going to call the monsters for, for polite reasons because I don't want to offend them. Now, you need to know that in the Orthodox Church today, there are beautiful, holy bishops and clergymen. And you need to know that there are also monsters. We're going to find out towards the end, if I even get there, what do we do when we are encountered with a monster? Do we leave the church? Do we stay at home? One man rang me up after the talk, and um, he didn't, he didn't, I, don't know, I don't know if he heard my talk, but he wanted to ring up. Sometimes because you're on the YouTube and they, they say, oh, this person's popular, let's ring him up so I can say I, I know him. But after the end of the conversation, they don't tell anyone that, 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 that they know me because I rip him apart. Well, I ripped him apart. He says, oh, I'm not going to go to the churches because they're all heretics and I'm going to stay home with my kids and we're, gonna, we're praying at home on our own. I go, so you're saying that every Orthodox church in Australia that everyone's bad, every priest is bad, everyone's bad, and you're going to stay at home. He goes, yes. I said, sorry, I haven't got time for your crap. I, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not going to argue. And I said, number one, you're talking over me. Number two, you don't have, you don't have an ounce of humility. 
at all. I'm speaking to you, I'm trying to explain things to you, and you go like that. But, 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 yes, Father, yeah, but, 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 uh, you know, so you're going to stay home with your kids. You're going to take your kids away from the church. Yeah, 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 that's right, yeah. And I said, okay. Cluck. (laughs) Finished. What what am I going to do to him? I tried. You can't say I didn't try. I tried. I spoke to him for about half an hour. Then I started getting headaches and I couldn't take it. The Fourth Ecumenical Council was held in Chalcedon. This is a city. I think opposite where Hagia Sophia was, Saint Sophia in Constantinople, which was on the European side, and Chalcedon was opposite on the Asian side there, where Saint Ephemia was martyred. The council taught that Jesus Christ has two na- had two natures, divine and human. Those who rejected this teaching became known as monophysites from the Greek word Single nature. Mono meaning one. Physites, physi meaning nature. Monophysites. The council decided in favour of the dogma of two natures of Christ and it condemned those who rejected its authority, the authority of the council, and persisted in their errors, expelling them from the body of Christ. They were anathematised. However, if they repented, they were, they were accepted back in straight away. Some of them did repent. Some of them pretended to repent. That's another thing. You have, to, you have to know about that. Some of them pretended to repent. But they were still heretics within themselves. They didn't want to lose their positions. Some of them had stubbornness. They said, no, we don't accept it. So what happened at this fourth ecumenical council? Like what happened at the first ecumenical council, which is the icon that you have of Saint Spiridon. He's holding a tile. Saint Spiridon was uneducated. He never had the theological mind of Athanasius the Great and a lot of others, great fathers. At the, at the, he was very simple. He was a shepherd, but they made him a bishop because he was pious. He was a miracle worker. He was a very pious person, holy. He was married and he had one child, and I uh, became a bishop later on. And he. Couldn't take listening to this heretic, Arius, that was saying the Christ isn't God. He couldn't take it. So he stood up and he says, I want to speak. And the father said, no, 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 sit down. Why? Because he can't, you know, he didn't have the knowledge. They go, how are you going to talk against Arius, this, with this satanic knowledge that he had? And St. Peter says, no. So St. Constantine, the great, he said he has a right to speak because he's part of the council. So St. Spiridon stood up, as you see in the icon that you've got, and you've got a part of his slipper to venerate, uh, or blessings today. And he stood and he said, he, stood, he held a tile in his hand, and he said, in the name of the Father, and fire shut up, and of the Son, and water came out, and of the Holy Spirit, and at the end was just sand left. There was a lot of miracles at the First Ecumenical Council. Saint Achilles said to Arius or to his followers, if you've got the truth, make oil come out of that rock. They couldn't do it. And Saint Achilles prayed 
and oil came out of the rock. There was a miracle of St. Nicholas that he couldn't take the blasphemies of Arius, so he slapped him across the face. That was an offence to do that in front of the emperor and him being a bishop. He was immediately jailed and he was taken off all his um, bishop's clothing, the clothing that makes him a bishop, and he was in jail. And then, I can't remember, probably the Mother of God, Christ, appeared. They gave him back his, all his clothing and gave him the gospel. And they appeared to Saint Constantine and said that he acted out of zeal. What he did was not evil. What he did was inspiration from God, from his zeal for God's truth. And he, they led him back into the council and gave him back his position as a bishop. There was another miracle, a fourth one, I can't remember it. So there's always miracles in all the councils to confirm, not only theologically, but also with miracles. So I had a, a fellow who was helping me, a clergyman. He was helping me with editing years ago, like the blurbs at the back of the, the, blurbs at the, back of the talks. I used to write them. Then I used to get them checked for grammar because my grammar's not that good. And so I used to get him to check it anyway. So I, once I did something and I wrote in there that what confirmed the Seventh Ecumenical Council, apart from the teachings that the fathers gave, were the miracles with the icons. There was these miracles that occurred during the iconoclast period, miracles with icons, which confirmed that icons are to be venerated. So this man said to me, no, 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 you stick to theological. No, no, no miracles. So he made me take it out. I didn't like that. But I didn't publish that. Something was yucky. And then when I was reading the Seventh Ecumenical Council, a more detailed account, lo and behold, it said in there that the, that the fathers, during the Ecumenical, Seventh Ecumenical Council, brought to, brought to the attention of the fathers there the miracles that had occurred during the iconoclast persecutions. One of them was some pagans, I don't know what they were, they were using a little church as a house and those icons on the walls. And what they did is they, an arrow or something, they shot at the, was it the mother of God, I'm not sure, or Christ, and it started bleeding. The icons started bleeding and people came and got the, um, got the blood and they were healing people. And they brought that in that into there. So together with their theological discussions and the miracles, they confirmed that icons are to be venerated and anathema to whoever doesn't venerate them, including to those in 2020 or 2021, the anathema applies to them too, who did not venerate the icons with their lips, but instead bow down to them or use masks. Anathema, it says. And it says, it, uh, I read it to you last time, Whoever does not venerate with their lips the holy icons, anathema. Anathema means you cut off from the church. But that's what our bishop told us. That's what our priest told us. Well, anathema to them as well. Simple as that. And I'm not anathematizing them. I don't have that authority. The church anathematizes them. So... At the miracle, in, in the Fourth Ecumenical Council, St. Ephemia, because her relics were present there, by the way, St. Ephemia's relics give off blood. And that blood does not go off. 
it doesn't dry up and it smells like myrrh. And they used to collect the blood from a little hole in her casket coming out and they collect them in bottles. So she's a big miracle worker. And they had her relics there. And um, during this council, the Orthodox and the Monophysites were arguing who had the truth. So they had the idea, okay, the Monophysites recognised the Nephemia because she was from a um, you know, century before whatever it was. Let's do the following. Let's get the tome. The tome is the confession of faith written out. The Orthodox said that Christ has two natures and the Monophysite said he has only one nature. They got the two tomes, opened up her relics, where she's incorrupt, and they put in her arm, on one arm they put the Orthodox and the other arm they put the Monophysite one. They closed the tomb with two keys or whatever they had, stood guard so no one could be there. Stuttgart was monophysites and orthodox, so they couldn't open it up secretly. After three days of prayer, they opened up the, the coffin, and what did they find? They found Senefimia was holding the confession of faith, the tome of the orthodox in her arms, and the monophysite one, the heterodox one, was under her feet. She was treading on it. Did they change? No. Why? Back to your stem. Pride. What did Arius' mummy say to him? Arius, my son, who's correct? Athanasius, who says that Christ is God as well, as well as man? Or you, that says that Christ is only man? A perfect man, maybe, or whatever. A sinless man, but just a man. And he said, mummy, just like Charles says about his mother, mummy, mummy, um, Athanasius is right, but I can't now admit it. I can't go. I can't go back. I've gone too far. That's what happens to us when we've got egotism. A lot of you, when you argue with your husband or your wife or whatever, you know you know you're wrong. A lot of times you're wrong, but the ego won't allow us to admit it. Admit it, we just make up, no, 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 I'm right, I'm right, that's ego. I used to hear preachers in Greek when I was younger, when I came to church, and I used to, Greek ones, they used to say that from a voice more, egotism, someone can lose their soul. I just couldn't comprehend what they were talking about. I know now, I've seen many souls being lost because of egotism. Egotism is the worst. You believe that the Catholics don't know that the Orthodox Church is the truth. They know. I'll give you an example to show you the stubbornness of heretics. Some might object to the word heretics. You don't call your neighbour who's a Catholic or, or a Protestant or a heretic. Even though officially they are but differently. You just say heterodox, they're heterodox. They're of another confession of faith. They have a different faith. 
then who do we call heretics? Those who are trying to convert us. Now, I will tell you who are the worst heretics. Some of you might say, are oh, the Catholics, are oh, the Monophysites, are oh, this, or oh, that. They're historians. Orthodox patriarchs and bishops who are trying to tell people that ecumenism is good and that all of them have some truth in them and things like that. They are heretics because they're trying to convert us. If your neighbour next door is a Catholic and they're trying to convert you, they're heretics. If they leave you alone, they're heterodox, out of politeness, heterodox. Don't get mixed up and just call your friend at work, uh, what religion are you? I'm um, Presbyterian. Heretic! Heretic! No, you don't do that. You don't say, just, just say, oh, okay, leave him alone. When I go, there's sometimes I've been to the supermarket, somebody goes, uh, what, are, what are you, Father? I go, Orthodox. Oh, we're all the same. You know, they speak, some of them, some of them are like a European background or something like We're all the same. What do I say? Do I say, heretic? No, I say nothing. But you're not confessing the truth. Did she ask me? Did she ask me whether that's true? She never asked me. She just said we're all the same. That's what she believes. She had no disposition. Christ, when he was being examined by Pilate and by um, Herod, I think it was, was Herod, I forgot now, he never answered, I can't remember now, I think it was Herod, he never answered him not one word. Pilate, he did answer, because Pilate asked him, what is truth? He asked him, at least he asked him a question. But the other uh, Goanna, he didn't ask anything. He didn't ask not one question, so Christ did not speak to him at all. He remained silent, completely silent. So why should I be higher than God? They have to have some disposition. I'm going to sit there and she goes, oh, as she's doing the cash register, we're all the same, Father. Yeah, and we're going to say, well, uh, in point of fact, no, it's not true. I'm going to speak Harvard type. Uh, the Orthodox Church is the one church and this and that and this and she's going... Sorry? What? what? But, uh, oh, Father, you maybe make a mistake on the cash register. And you'll get in trouble. They get upset. Don't get confused with these things. So, in Jerusalem, we have the Holy Fire. The first, quite a long time, for 10 minutes, something doesn't burn. There are people that have been there. And I know people that I've known. I wasn't there for that. Too many people for me. I don't like too many people. Um, but people have gone, I know people that have been there, and it's on, it's on the internet. Everyone's holding 33 candles, because Christ died at 33, he's always a human, not as God, God doesn't die. And people see lightning, like flashes in the um, church, and some people's candles light up by themselves. The patriarch, Greek Orthodox patriarch, comes out and passes the flame to others, and then it passes through the church. And you see on the video, which we have on our section number, whew, what is it? Section three. Section three. We have all those videos on the Holy Life. And it shows the people putting their fire on the, 33 candles. Now, if I went up there and put my finger on that one there, I'm going to get burnt. I'm going to get burnt. These are 33 candles. It's fire. And they're putting on their children's faces, on their beards, everything. Like on their arms. Nothing happens. 
scientists have studied that. It's all on the internet. I haven't got time now. It's all on my. It's all on section three. Uh, the tradition is that it has to be a bishop of the Eastern Orthodox Church, Greek. For some reason, I don't understand, must be some type of rule there, uh, the Greeks have to allow the Armenian Orthodox, in inverted commas, to witness, which is a good idea, I think. So they, they don't pray together, so the Armenian goes in fully vested, they close the doors, the Israeli police first check everything, they check the tomb for fire, for anything, for matches, anything. The patriarch undresses and only has um, maybe just this on. The Armenians fully vested. What's good about that? The Armenians hate us. If the Orthodox was doing something wrong, they would say it. So it's good that they come in. But there's no praying together. So uh, there are two holes on the tomb of, the, of Christ. One hole is, I think the Armenians get it, where he gives it to them, the Armenian from the inside, the patriarch, he's their patriarch. And the other side, I think it's the Coptic bishop. In, that, in this holy sepulchre, the whole, the whole church, there are Catholics present. There are Catholics have got one area, Copts have got another area, Armenians have got another area, and the Orthodox have got the other area. I think this was taken away from the Orthodox during Turkish times to make the others happy. They gave them some sections there. Uh, yeah, so that doesn't burn. So the Armenian patriarch and his clergy see that. Do they convert? No. Do the Copts convert? No. Do the Catholics, they don't participate. They're too busy hiding in their little shack over there. But they know what's happening. Now, they're very jealous people. And they just stay over there probably looking through the keyhole to have a look at what's going on. And it has to be lit by an Orthodox and it has to be Greek. These are not miracles where like in Fatima and all these other miracles in the Catholic Church of the sun jumping up and down and, you know, all these things and happening. These are all, as St. Ignatius Benchinov says, they are all visual. They're all like in the mind. It's demons in the air. This is not. This is a tangible miracle, just like holy water is a tangible miracle that can be examined by scientists. And that holy light has been examined by scientists. And they said that that type of plasma, what they call plasma, whatever they call it, it says, cannot be found. It has to be in a very moist environment while, while Jerusalem is dry because it's a desert. They can't understand it, and, and it's very miraculous, to, even to the scientists themselves. But the thing is, what I'm trying to say to you is, that don't change. So don't get confused and think that, that that's why Elder Yakovos, going back to him, he was more interested in the Catholic, because he had questions, he didn't know much, but the, but the pastor didn't talk to him. Showed him around, was nice, this and that, gave him food, but that was it. But yet our orthodox hierarchs and that they, they go with them, pray with them, and not just Christians with inverted commas Christians, like the monophysites, they believe in Christ but in a broken way. 
that we call them Christians just as a politeness, but there cannot be no, as our saints say, outside the church there can be no Christianity. True Christianity is only within the Orthodox Church. Outside the church there is no Christianity. But we call them Christians for politeness and they do believe in whatever they believe in broken ways. But not, they're not, they, that's why they need to be told that they haven't got the truth. And these people go there, they pray with them, they recognise them as bishops and priests, they exchange gifts together, they do kisses of like they're united, because when we do let us love one another, that one might may confess, with the Catholics they kiss each other to show unity of faith. We don't do that anymore, but we do it inside the altar, the priests do it. They kiss each other to show that they've got a unity of faith. Because straight after, let us love one another, one may confess, I think we start, I think we do the creed. You need to have unity of faith to say the creed. And they get all that sticky stuff all over them, the her heresy, and they become lost. So we don't hate the heterodox. We can hate what they believe, but not them. As for the heretics, the ones that are trying to convert us, including orthodox ones, well, I think we need to be negative against them to protect yourself. The various The various churches that descended from those who rejected the Fourth Agreement of Council have been known by a variety of names, including Monophysites, non-Chalcedonians, because non means they don't accept the council at Chalcedon, anti-Chalcedonians, they're against the council of Chalcedon, pre-Chalcedonians, the lesser or separated Eastern churches, and in recent times they've been called Oriental Orthodox. Today the Oriental Orthodox are com uh, composed of uh, six autocephalous churches. That means they're self-ruled. They're independent, but they're the same, like ours. Russian, Constantinople, Serbian, Bulgarian. They're all separate churches, but they are of the same church. But each run rules itself. No other one has power over the other. They are self-ruled. That's what we call or I think it's autocephalous or autocephalous. I'm not sure how to say it, so it should be truthful. Um, they self-rule, basically. They have no one over themselves. These six groups, which is similar to us in that they are independent, but they all belong to the same, which is the Oriental Orthodox Church, while all of ours, all the, all the ones we've got, Bulgarian, Romanian, Serbian, Constantinople, Russia, etc., Romania, they all are independent, but belong to the same church, which is called the Eastern Orthodox Church. That's when people write me, write to us with names, I've got to write back to them and say, firstly, are these the baptismal names? Because they want me to commemorate, they, you know, they send money, they want commemoration. So, okay. Number one, are they their baptismal names? We only accept that. No double names, that's not Orthodox. Number one, if they've been battled with double names, sorry, we can't do it. Let them go fix it up with the priests that have done it. Number, number two, are they Oriental Orthodox? 
Sometimes even when I'm suspicious, I go, what church was that person baptised at? And they say, oh, such and such in Texas and this. I look it up, okay, Eastern Orthodox Church. I can commemorate. We can commemorate, but not if they're from the Oriental Orthodox Church. So let's go here, and when I say Orthodox, only out of politeness. Orthodox means true belief. They do not have true belief. But that's their name, so we just say it out of, just out of ease. So they, these, are the, these are the six, six bodies. The Coptic Orthodox Church of Alexandria, Egypt. The Syriac, the Syriac Orthodox Church of Antioch, also known as the Jacobite Church, which is the leader was Severus. The Armenian Apostolic Church. The Malankara Orthodox Syrian Church. The Ethiopian Orthodox Tiwa Kedu Church. And the Eritrean Orthodox Tiwadil Church. Anyway, I can't even say those names. There's six groups of them. They comprise of a total of 60 million members worldwide. I think I made a mistake before, 80. 60 million. They consider themselves as part of one church, not our church. They consider themselves part of the Oriental Orthodox Churches and are not in communion with the Eastern Orthodox Church. doesn't matter what these ecumenists and heretics tell you. They are not in communion. That's the big, big thing now. That's what they're learning at the theological colleges, even here. That it's all a mistake. The Fourth Ecumenical Council was a mistake. These people are orthodox. They are orthodox. They keep on saying it. And once again, we don't hate them. I would love, I would love to see all of them to come into the orthodox church and be joined. What a, that, that would be amazing. And the Catholics too but only under the condition that they accept the Holy Orthodox Church in its fullness, which has never been changed. We have changed nothing. Some of these heretics, like patriarchs, they say heretical things, but they have not changed the faith officially. No one is told that you will say the creed from now on like this. No one is told that you will recognise Christ with only one nature. We don't hear any of that. They say it, and they might even preach it, but it's not official. The Oriental Orthodox churches of today continue to stubbornly reject the dogmatic definition of the Fourth Ecumenical Council. That is, they oppose the Orthodox teaching of the two natures in Jesus Christ, the divine and the human natures. We say Christ is one person, but he has two natures, but he's one person. There can be no unity with the Oriental Orthodox churches until they renounce the heresy of monophysism and accept the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh ecumenical councils. These churches only accept the first three ecumenical councils, while the Nestorians only accept the first two. The seventh ecumenical council confessed as follows. Quote, with the fathers of this synod, we confess that he who was incarnate of the Immaculate Mother of God and ever-Virgin Mary has two natures, recognising him as perfect God and perfect man, as also the Council of Chalcedon had declared, has declared, expelling from the divine atrium of the church as blasphemers, Eftichios and the Oscaros, and placing in the same category Severus. 
That's the Holy Fathers. That's an exact quote from the Holy Fathers, what, what they said. That they confessed that Christ has two natures, even in the seventh, even though the Ecumenical Council, that was 300 years after the, the fourth, around about. The fourth was 431. This was in 787, so about 300 years. And they said, uh, anyone that doesn't believe in the two natures of Christ are blasphemers, and they are to be basically expelled from the church like Eftichios, Dioscoros, and Severus. However, now we leave the fathers, that's the end of the quote, however, the ecumenists who are supporters of union with the anti-Chalcedonians claim that the disagreement at the Fourth Ecumenical Council between the Orthodox and the Monophysites uh, was essentially a tragic misunderstanding. The Holy Fathers, they say, their present fail to consider that people of the other religion, the Monophysite religion, had different backgrounds, and so therefore they used different language. It was all a mistake. The two groups are from Monophysites from Syria and Monophysites from Egypt. They were the main two groups. They caused a lot of trouble in the Byzantine Empire. They weakened the empire because they weren't united with the empire because they didn't recognise the Fourth Ecumenical Council. Many emperors and many bishops tried to compromise and make up formulas that will make them happy, but it didn't work. It didn't work. Nothing they did could actually bring them back to the Orthodox Church. Justinian, which is one of the greatest emperors of the Orthodox Church, he was later on, people went against him and slandered him, that he was a pro-monophysite because he did everything he could to bring them back to the faith. But they stubbornly did not agree. Now, they're tricking you today. They're saying, well, the heresy, that it's not really a heresy. What it is, it's, it's just they're using St. Kirill's words, but they're saying the same thing. They're not saying the same thing. They are heretics. Now... You might say, I'm not interested in what you've got to say. I'm interested in what the Father's got to say. Very good. I like that. More energy today. So I'm going to quote now from St. Paisios, Manathos. It's in the book by Hayamak Isaac, that big thick green book, pages 658 to 661. Okay, so I, I said a lot of bad things today one can say. But let's see what he says. This is a quote straight from the book. He, meaning St. Paisus, considered the anti-Chalcedonians, that is the Monophysites, along with the other heretics and those of other religions to be creatures of God and our brothers according to the flesh. Creatures, not, that's not a bad word. Creatures mean creation. Creatures means created by God. So they are created by God. And they are, they are our brothers according to the flesh. Like we have a body, they've got a body. We are brothers in that way. In terms of our common descent from Adam, we all came from Adam. But St. Paisus did not consider them children of God and our brothers according to the spirit. Characterizations he believed applied only to Orthodox Christians. St. Paisus said, 
the only brothers that we have in the spirit are fellow Orthodox Christians, not those of other faiths. And by the way, they use the word heretic there. Does that clear things up? Because some of you are very confused about this. I was confused for many years too. They are creatures of God. They are created by God. They are our brothers from Adam in the way of the flesh, in our bodies. But that's where it stops. But they are not children of God in the sense. And our brothers according to the spirit. Now, just in case some of you, thought up in one second, just in case some of you get confused with that, thank you for that. Christ, if you read the Bible, and you should, you read the, um, the Gospels, he sometimes referred to people as daughter, and sometimes he referred to people as um, child. If they were of the Jewish religion, he used the word child of God, daughter, son, etc. But if they were of another religion or pagans, he did not use those words. Because at that time, the true religion was the Jewish religion. He differentiated between those who were of the, of the correct faith, which was the Jewish religion, compared to the others that were of other religions. So there are a lot of examples, daughter, or, or child, you are healed, or something like that. But the others, he never referred to them like that. Saint Paisius is saying the same thing. Regarding those who sympathise with the monophysites, meaning the Orthodox, and their fervent supporters among the Orthodox, he observed, quote, they don't say that the monophysites didn't understand the Holy Fathers. They say that the Holy Fathers didn't understand the monophysites. In other words, they talk as if they're right, that the monophysites are correct, and that the fathers misunderstood them. So I'm going to read that again. It's very important. So these ecumenists, they say that the Holy Fathers got it wrong. Not that the monophysites got it wrong. The Holy Fathers got it wrong. The Holy Fathers misunderstood them. Not that the heretics misunderstood the Holy Fathers. This is what these monsters are saying today. And they are monsters. Now, your question. Um, does that mean the heterodox don't get saved? Well, that troubled me a lot. I have to admit, when I came to the church, that troubled me a lot. That question was also posed to St. Siloanos of Manathos and many fathers. They say, only the Orthodox will be saved. As for the rest, it's up to God. We don't know what happens to them. We don't know how they're going to be judged. It depends on how much they know the truth. Are they rejecting the truth? For example, we have some pygmies, for example, over in South America, whatever they are, and all these people. Different they have never even heard who Christ is. So we can't say they're going to be saved. We can't say they're going to be condemned. We don't know. And the Holy Fathers say, Christ, who is full of love, cares more for their souls than what we do. And he is doing what he can 
to save them, but we can't say they're saved. But at the same time, we can't say they're not saved. We leave it to God. And that's if you read the Holy Fathers, even St. John of Kronstadt, a great saint in Russia, he never, ever said to the heterodox that came to him that you're not going to be saved. But he did tell him that the orthodox is the truth, but he never made those type of statements. I think even St. Paisius didn't say it, St. Yakovus didn't say it, St. Porfirius didn't say it, and many other people didn't say it. We have to be understanding of the Spirit of God. Just like when the apostles said to Christ because they rejected his preaching, they go, should we pray like Elias did to bring down fire and burn them? And Christ says, you don't even know what spirit you're talking to. You don't even know what you're talking about. And there's meaning to all that. Remember that says, whoever doesn't believe and be baptised will be condemned. Doesn't believe. In other words, they were given the opportunity to believe and they rejected it. We don't know exactly who, what, how, what's in person's conscience. You leave it to God and we pray for them and that's as far as we can go. The fathers of the church have not given us anything further than that. There has to be a rejection as well. Like those monophysites and those people over there, they see the holy light. That's it. That only happens for the orthodox. It's simple. Why can't they see that and then say, well, this is the truth? But they don't. They're, they're, they're in trouble. But as for some pious in their own way who don't even know, some of them don't even know the difference between Eastern Orthodox and, and um, Oriental Orthodox. They don't know. How are they going to be judged? That's not for me to know. We go on with the book. He considered proposals to erase from the liturgical books statements identifying the Oscaros Severus as heretics to be blasphemy against the Holy Father. So these monsters, these ecumenists, because they don't want to offend the, the Orientals, they're saying we're going to have to revise our liturgical books. So, for example, when we commemorate the miracle of St. Ephemia, the Holy Fathers in their troparia use horrible words to describe the heretics, like the Oscaros, calling them demonic and things like that. He said, that's not nice. We have to remove them. We have to remove them not to offend the, the heretics, like services that are dedicated to those who died under the Roman Catholics. They call them satanic and the Pope and all. Oh, beautiful descriptions. And... St. Paisio says, anyone who wants to, to change the liturgical books to please the heretics is blasphemy, it's a blasphemy against the Holy Fathers. He said, quote, so many div divinely enlightened Holy Fathers who were there at that time didn't, meaning the Fourth Ecumenical Council, so many divinely enlightened Holy Fathers who were, at, who were there at that time didn't understand them, didn't understand the monophysites, in other words, took them the wrong way, they made mistakes. And now we come along after so many centuries, 1600 years, in other words, to correct the Holy Fathers. That's what these monsters are doing. They're correcting the Holy Fathers and St. Ephemia. 
and they don't take the miracle. Oh, there it is. And Saint Paisio says, and they don't take the miracle of Saint Ephemia into account. And then he says sarcastically, didn't she understand the heretic's term too? In other words, and uh, are we going to say that Saint Ephemia misunderstood the what the heretics were saying in their confession of faith that Christ only has one nature? Did she make a mistake? So he's being a bit sarcastic, and you say, oh, no, no, no. No, saints, they're not sarcastic. No, 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 no. Because, no, no. you know, some people say, oh, you've been sarcastic. Well, sorry, the saints were even sarcastic on certain times, certain things to get a point across through how you say it. Are you saying it with hate? Or are you saying it with an anger because people are losing their souls because they're told that the monophysites are the same as us? I have m many of them that listen to my talks. And they write to me, Oh, Father, they're so good, the talks, they're really, really, really good in this and that, whatever. Uh, but, you know, I don't like the way that you say this, this and that, whatever. You know, I'm not going to be sucked in by their praise. It's not, okay, they like the talks, but I'm not here to be called popular on the internet. Sorry, that's not my, that's not my job. I'm not here for popularity, to see how many views we get. By the way, the last talk's heading to 14,000, which is in three weeks. That's very interesting. Not even other talks got that many views. In three weeks, 14,000 people have watched that last talk, which shows you that people are really, really confused about COVIDism, etc. So I'm happy. Why am I happy? Because I've got a lot of views. No. I've got a lot of subscribers, not that many, what is it, 13,000 something? Um, no, I'm happy because people are learning. That's what I'm happy about. If I was here because I want to become popular, I would advise you to run. Some out the windows, you can do what the SWAT people do, you can even go through the glass. <laughs> out, run. If you see that I'm doing this for my popularity, I think that, no. And it's not popularity, because the majority of priests don't like me, and number one. And number two, there's a chance that I'm going to go through trouble with the upper-ups. So that's not something that you're there for popularity. I feel sorry for those people, I do, and those people that wrote to me, like those, the um, monophysites and all of them, I feel for them. They're really, really nice people and they want, and you know, they're, they're, they're leading their lives. But they have to know, and I'm not saying this out of, to hurt them, they're not in the correct faith. The Orthodox Church is the truth, that is it. I can't pretend just so I can get a couple of praises, like am I that desperate? I'm, you know, if I need to praise, I'll pay someone to praise me. Just praise someone. At least I don't have to lose my soul. Or I get some bloggers, they, they, they're into that. You're beautiful, you're nice, you're this, you're that, it's just too much. As time goes on, as the talks become more popular, you'll see all the riffraff come out. Oh, I'm going to go through a lot from them because I was laying low for a while. But as soon as you start getting out a bit too much and all that, well, I think it's from God's permission as well 
for our humility not to get proud, as we'll hear soon, if we get to that. And St. Spiridon actually says in the dismissal we heard today, they were shown forth as a champion of the first council and a wonder worker, O Spiridon, our God-bearing Father. Being divinely illumined with the divine spirit's light and dogmatising simply on the Trinity with faith, the all-wise hierarch Spiridon smothered and destroyed the dark babblings of Arius and he was glorified by wise and learned men and confirmed the council mightily. His miracle and the other three, as well as the Holy Fathers and their teachings, confirmed that the first ecumenical council was correct, was from God, and that Christ was also God and not just man, like Arius, another monster, believed. I don't usually ask for questions, but you know I'm I'm not going to finish today, so I'm going to hopefully we'll do another one soon, maybe the um, January when we have the was that the, the long weekend there as well, maybe hopefully God willing. So does anyone have any questions? And I don't like if you are like agitated. It's going to be humble. If you're agitated, it's not a good spirit. Yep. Well, that's uncanonical because it says that even though they're children, they're still, they're still not orthodox. So that means that they're forcing orthodox children to pray together with those of another faith, which is forbidden by the holy canons of the church. Georgina. Well, this is a lot of controversy with that as well. I think that, strictly speaking, um, we shouldn't go into these churches at all. Uh, but there's others. I don't know if they're correct. I mean, I, I haven't really found enough information from holy elders on this topic. Um, if one goes there but they're not praying, I'm supposed they're like what the other fellow said at the back, they're not praying. So that's, that's not forbidden. But then why are you going? I mean, if you're not, I don't know. So if you can go there without praying, I, I just avoid it. Because I don't want to offend God. I don't want to accidentally pray with them, have the same spirit as them. I don't, I, I don't want that. Now, it could be your mother, it could be your father. I don't know. I don't, I, I, uh, it's a good question, and I haven't got a good authority on that from the elders, the God-enlightened people. I haven't, haven't found it properly. And I'd rather wait till I do find it. Personally, I don't like it, and I don't, I, don't, I don't want to go into any of their churches just in case I lose my soul. Now, if, for example, the uh, hierarchs that are supposedly have all this theological knowledge, they go into their churches, they become contaminated, a lot of kids went to Catholic schools, they're contaminated. When I say contaminated, I mean in heresy. Why take the chance? 
So, but I'm not going to give it a definite answer because I need, and any, if anyone's listening to the tape or anyone here knows, any fathers, holy elders that uh, have spoken on this matter, give it to me. I would like to know and present it. Personally, I will just stick to what the fathers say. Whoever goes into a heretical church to pray will be excommunicated. That means they can't commune. To pray. Now, if you stand there as an observer, maybe, maybe that's not, I don't know, you know, if you can say it's your mother or your father, and you stand there as an, as an observer without praying with them, that's a, that's a different thing. But as I said, I haven't got a definite answer. Uh, one more, what a second, John. Um, out of all the uh, liturgies I've been to in the Greek Orthodox Church, at the end, towards the end of the liturgy, the priest always says, through the prayers of the Holy Fathers, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, yep. save us. Correct. Um, so how is it that we ask for the prayers of the Holy Fathers, but at the same time, we say that they were too harsh on these people back then, or they were... They Yes. Firstly, you're much calmer. Much calmer. Even on your face, you're much calmer. You know why? Because you're listening to Orthodox fathers. Not me. Orthodox. So you're much calmer. Number one. That's good. That's a positive thing. Secondly, you're asking a question which is not coming from some type of gotcha question. It's actually a very, very good question. The answer is that they say the they say through the prayers of our holy fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, that they say it like they say everything else. For example, they talk about um, you know have mercy on us, O God, according to Thy great mercy, we pray the I can have mercy again. We pray for you know whatever, whatever, all these things. But they don't, but if you talk to them personally, they don't talk about uh, salvation. They don't talk about it. I went to those churches. I know you know, and even in our own churches. They, it's like people talk to me now and say, I went to a funeral. Well, they're rational. That doesn't matter. They're, they're there everywhere. And they said that the priest was saying, and uh, uh, eternal be their memory. We remember them. We remember them. We remember them. And we won't forget them. And those things like that. He goes, but he didn't talk about the soul. He didn't talk about, he says, and this is a consolation for you because you will always remember our departed sister, Anna, and things like that. That's not the purpose of the prayers. The purpose of the prayers is they're praying for God to have mercy on her soul. They don't talk about salvation, hardly any of them. They don't talk against uh, fornication. They don't talk against adultery. They don't talk against the contraception pill. They don't talk about magic. They don't talk about hardly anything. Why? They're dead. They've got nothing on them. Sorry, and I'm going to come to that now. I'm going to read you stuff which is going to make you do somersaults right here in front of us. <laughs> I promise. You're going to do somersaults that you never thought you could do. Spiritual somersaults. What you're going to hear. Maybe you won't get to it. Maybe I should tell you now. Are you also against, because you talked a lot about the ecumenical councils, are you against this um, synod that happened in Crete in 20... 100%. That was a radical. That wasn't even ecumenical council. Firstly, a lot of Orthodox, Orthodox churches didn't, didn't attend. Yeah. A lot of them didn't attend. Uh, they said, one of the things that they said is that the heterodox churches are churches. They called them churches just like our churches. 
That was uh, rejected by the majority of Orthodox Christians in the world. That was good, actually. That was good. It's just, it's just strange because, like, out of all the, if I was to ask you what's the true church, you would say the Orthodox Church, right? The Eastern Orthodox Church, yeah? Yeah. Out of all the denominations that exist, out of all the heterodox churches that exist, you would still point towards the Eastern Orthodox Church. But now you but throughout your talks, you know, you, you say that there are problems within Orthodoxy. So. You see, again, again, that's a very good, see, very good. There's no hostility. Before, you're a bit hostile. That's why I went against you. But this time, you're, 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 that's good what you're saying. And I like that question. Did you like it, Gregory? Did you think it was a good question? Very good, isn't it? If I was into it, I'd make everyone clap their hands for you. That's how, that's how much I like what you, what you just said. Um, so I got so excited, I even forgot what you said. <laughs> I can't believe it. So I've lost it. Go, can you, John, say it again, that last part? That's always been the case from the time of the apostles. And let me tell you, not only from the time of apostles, from the time of Christ. How many apostles, John, did Christ have? Twelve. Twelve. And did he call one of them a devil? Yeah, he did. Did you know that that devil, who was Judas, did you know that he had the same power exactly as the rest of the apostles? He never, even though he was, he was stealing the money from the money box, he only became a disciple just to steal the money, by the way. And he was going to betray Christ. He still was able to do exactly what the other apostles did. Now, that's one-twelfth of his apostles. So Christ knows that in the church there's always going to be bishops and priests that are not there for the right reason. And he permits this sometimes for reasons that we said, because of the sins of the people, etc., you know, like the monsters that you weren't here last time, but things like that. And, um, and that's always been the case. In the, and uh, this is the struggle. The struggle is that these monsters occur, they occur, and our job is to struggle against them, not to believe them. And by doing that, we become stronger. But I, I, could, I could be someone who, who can say that, you know what, since 1054, since the schism of the Catholics and the Orthodox, I could say the Orthodox Church has preserved the faith from the schism that happened back then. And I, I have to be concerned about that. The Orthodox Church has preserved the faith from the beginning. They have not changed, not one thing. And by the way, 1054 wasn't really the problem. That was when they stopped communion with, the, with Constantinople and the Catholics. But other, other churches, like Alexandria and all that, still remained in communion with the churches. It was around 1204, when with the Fourth Crusaders, when they started raping and killing uh, nuns and people and all that type of stuff, and raping people on the altars, etc. That's when the Orthodox worldwide finally said, enough is enough, these creatures cannot be Christians. And I think from then on, not one Orthodox church recognised them anymore. So there was no synod, really, but there was a consensus. Every Orthodox church said they're no longer, in our opinion, Christians. So, yes, there will always be times of heresy. That's a very good question. We are living now, in right now, just like the Christians lived during the time of Arius, and there was heresies. Then there was the heresy, the heresy of the, those who thought the Holy Spirit wasn't God, that was a heresy. By the way, that was by. That was two at the same time. The Arianism and those who were against the Holy Spirit. They were kind of together. But the Arius was condemned the first. And then uh, the second Ecumenical Council, they condemned those who believed the Holy Spirit wasn't God. And they reconfirmed Arius. The third Ecumenical Council was against the stories, etc. All during those periods, people were being persecuted, had trouble, and this and that. We have now a dual heresy. 
ecumenism, which has been around for 100 years, and now COVIDism, which started from 1219, even though, not 1219, 2019, even though uh, this type of unbelief and these lack of faith, they occurred before, but they showed themselves after 2019 with COVID. They really showed that a lot of them are unbelievers to close the doors, to, to, to um, cover the icons, to put, um, you know, like um, CSI tape there and say, don't approach the icon as if we're in a crime scene. Because to them it's a crime to kiss the icon. That was a crime for them. They had, as we say in Greek, bravi. What does bravi mean? Like bodyguards or something at the doors of churches, mostly in your church. They were there. Uh, and you you got a mask? No, out, out. Yeah. And I said to people, you go, go to the church. You don't you don't wear the mask. And if you say I'm not I'm not wearing the mask, they throw you out. God will grant you grace. Yeah, and how, and how that all this live streaming uh, has stopped. They want people back in. You know, they're trying to say that. You know, back then they were saying kosher from your from the live stream from home, but now they now that certain people got used to doing that. So and it's just sort of struggling with certain people to bring them back. Um, in Romania, as we're going to read soon, but I think I don't think we're going to get there. In Romania. They compromised with the communists. And Father George, who was a married priest, he spent 20 years in the gulags. He was tortured. And he was tortured as well psychologically with chemicals, with drugs. And he denied Christ under drugs. He went through a lot. And when he came out, he said to the Romanian bishops, you betrayed the faith. You, yes, you did it because you thought if you compromise, you'll save the churches. But you did. You saved the walls, but you didn't save souls. You didn't save souls because people got scandalised with, with all the compromise they did with um, the communists. And they lost their credibility. These bishops, etc., they've lost their credibility. What they did during that lockdown... All the things that they said, they've lost their credibility and they need to come out and apologise, but they're not doing it. They're not apologising. To at least say we were swayed, we believed the whatever, we got confused. No. And some of them, you've got to get vaccinated. They're still going. It's called pisma in Greek. You know what pisma means? Do you know much Greek? No, stubbornness. They're stubborn. Andrew. Just a short question, Father. Uh, in regards to the situation uh, with Russia and Ukraine, the canonical uh, church of Russian Orthodox Church, the part that is which in, in Ukraine now, is there a schism? Not from the political side of you, no politics, just from the canons of the church, is there any... I don't like um, discussing things which are outside the topic because it confuses people. But in general, we just say that that group which accepted this schismatic group caused a schism. There are many, many fathers that disagree to it. They say what they did has caused a big schism. 
and those who want these schisms to weaken the Orthodox Church because there's a fear that the Orthodox Church is going to be united like it was in the old days and become a very, very strong group of people. As you see with Russia, that's why they're after Russia, because the church is strong and the Orthodox and Putin's for the church, etc. So once they're very scared, that's why if you look, in Western Europe, nearly all of them, they've still got their monarchs and kings and queens and princes and crown princes. Tell me one Orthodox country which has a king. Not one. They wiped them all out. They wiped them all out. They left not one. Serbia, nothing. Romania, nothing. Bulgaria, nothing. Um, Greece, nothing. They, they, they knocked him out in the 1960s. The Tsar, etc. Everything was knocked out. Only our churches, our, our countries. None of the others have been. They all got their thing. Why? Because when orthodoxy is united with the government, nothing is very strong very 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 strong and they know that the CIA's and all these they know that they know that so this this whole problem with the Ukraine has one purpose to destroy the Orthodox Church okay and because of the sins of the people they're doing a good job at it okay. now you're gonna have a, a break just for a few minutes with some uh, water and um, things like that. I want to do five minutes and I want to finish the, the rest. I'm up to page 32 out of 83. I'm not gonna finish it, but let's just, I'm relaxing more now. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna rush. I'm just gonna go through what we go through. That's it, so have some water. Someone came up to me, um, just now, it reminded me of something which I did read, but I forgot. It's a very good question. And it was the question that I think it was yourself that you said um, about going to... Oh, yeah, okay. So St. John, Archbishop of San Francisco, whose relics are incorrupt. He died around 1960-something, 66. And now someone came up to me for confession and said to him, Vladika, that's how they call it, despot in, in Russian, right? Uh, he said, Vladika, um, I went to a Coptic church, because, but I didn't, I didn't pray. I just went and looked at the church. And St. John got upset, and he says, you must confess, because you went into a heretical church. It doesn't matter that you didn't pray, you still have to confess. Now, I'm, I'm assuming that's the story. Yeah. He didn't get it wrong. That's, I think that was it, wasn't it? We should look at that, because yeah. uh, I want to make sure, but I think I do remember that, that he, he, he still wanted him to confess, even though he didn't pray with them. And I think that's very interesting. And that was St. John. And um, that's one saint. Maybe other saints are there, said it too. Now, I want to speak about the great responsibility of a priest because you might think that I'm, you know, being negative with the priests and things like that. Now, I read last time that Elder Athanasius of Grigorio, now he is in the book called Contemporary Aesthetics of Manathos. Parts, there's part one and two by Archimandrite uh, Sherebim. They're very good books of aesthetics that live close to our times. Elder Athanasius from the monastery of Grigorio, that's one of the monasteries of Manathos, one of the main 20. And 
Elder Athanasius regarded the priesthood with such piety and fear that when he later became abbot and tonsured around um, 27 monastics, he never dared to allow anyone to advance to the holy altar. In other words, he didn't make them priests. He constantly kept in mind the saying, and this is what I said last time, but I want to repeat it, better with a prayer rope in paradise than anapetrahilion in hell, meaning better to remain a monk and be saved with your prayer rope rather than to go to hell wearing this. Now, some of you don't understand and say, well, are you saying that people shouldn't become priests and why did you become, etc., etc.? Well, we need, we need to know that there's a big problem that a lot of priests will not be saved. And again, I'm not saying that for myself. St. John Chrysostom in 407, when he died, he died in 407, but he said before he died, and I read this last time, the road to hell is paved with the bones of priests and monks, and the skulls of bishops are the lampposts that light the path. So we have a pathway, and the pathway is paved with, with priests and monks, but mostly priests, and the lamppost, meaning the, the light, that the kind of the lamppost which light the road, are the bishops because they're the ones which should have been teaching and didn't. So he actually says that the bishops will be in a worse state than the priests and the, and the monks that were off. I found this on the internet and... I don't even know who wrote it, but I, 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 I kind of copied it, but then I forgot where I got it from. But I read it. I think it's very good. I'm just going to read it quickly. When the priest dies, the whole parish prays for his repose. When the bishop dies, the whole diocese prays publicly for his repose. When the patriarch dies, the whole nation prays for his repose. Some people ask, why did the clergy get so many prayers? If they, are, if they were already dedicated to God their whole lives. So if the priest and the bishop, whatever, are constantly doing God's work, then why do they need so many prayers? We should be praying more for the lay people. And the answer, well, let's see what he says. The responsibility of the priest, and even more so that of the bishop, is terrifying. St. John Chrysostom said that he thinks many, if not the majority of clergy, are in hell because they fail to keep up their, with their responsibility. That's very frightful for St. John Chrysostom to say that. They fail to keep up with their responsibility. That's why you become a priest, so that you can do your duty as a priest. What are these responsibilities? Number one, this person wrote... They failed to protect the Holy Eucharist from the unprepared faithful who partake in a sacrilegious way. In other words, they commune anyone. doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter. They just commune them. That's a very big sin. That's why I didn't like serving in parishes. 
in the beginning, when I first became a priest 30 years ago, when, you know, I did serve a parish at Centennial Park, St. Vladimir's, because the priest got sick. And later on he died and had no priest. And they said, can you do the service? And we'll pay you. I said, first, I don't want any money. They want to pay me. Why didn't I take any money? Because once you take the money from them, they own you. And I didn't want them to own me. So because I wasn't paying, they weren't paying me, I called the shots, not them. If they paid me, they would have made me do whatever they want. And I said, no, I'm not doing that. I don't care how much you give me. That's why it's better when priests don't get pays. How do we live, for example? We live off the donations of the people. That's how priests always lived in the past. But now in Greece, which is, which is why they've gone off, is they're paid by the government. They are civil servants. The priests of the Orthodox Church in Greece are civil servants, and they get a nice pay. And pensions later on, things like that. They don't toe the line of the government. Guess what happens to them? Their pay gets stopped. That's why Metropolitan Augustine of Florina, very holy person, he was against this. He says, this should not be. We're going to be tied. He deals against when they introduce these payments to the priests and the bishops. They get a lot of money. And a lot of people become priests for the money. So I went there and they said to me, oh, this woman wants to confess to you. And I said, I'm not going to confess her now, but just before communion. I don't even know who the person is. But then I kind of got a bit swayed a bit. I got a bit weak. And so I said, oh, let's see what she wants. And she was crying. And I, so I, I agreed to see her because she was crying. So she was, I have to commune. I have to commune. I have to commune today. Why? What's wrong? I have to commune. And I said, oh, maybe I'm wrong being so strict. I said, why do you have to commune? I have an exam tomorrow. That was the reason why she wanted to commune. I said, I'm not going to commune you just because you've got an exam. You've got to repent. You've got to confess. And I said, what does your husband... I don't know what came to me. What does your husband say? Oh, I haven't got a husband. I live with someone. He's Jewish. I said, oh, okay, so you're living with a Jewish man in sin and you want to commune. That's not going to happen. Uh, crying and crying and crying and the, all the um, uh, those people that do the candles and all that, they were running after her and they were giving her water to bring her to and the, the cruel priest, the cruel priest, what he did to her because I didn't give her Holy Communion as a good luck charm while she's living with a Jew and while, it doesn't matter if it's a Jew, whatever, she's not married. And another man who wanted to confess... As I said, I've told you this story before. I said, no, I'm not going to confess you just before communion. I don't like that. I don't like you confess people. That's not right. I've got to see you. I've got to see who you are. I've got to make sure you lead in a spiritual life for a while. You know, you've got to, you've got to live a period. You know, there's a good Greek priest in um, Melbourne. He was good. And when people would come to him, he says, okay, I want to see you over the next three months and then we'll decide about communion later on. That's proper. That's it. But most churches... 
Yeah, commune, 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 commune. That's good, good, good. You have to commune. Anyway, I started getting that doubt a bit. I said, well, maybe I'm too strict. Maybe the priest will rise. I said, okay. So I confessed him. Then he was crying. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it anymore. Said, no, no, I want to change. I want to this. And I said, okay. And I did it. I said, yes, all right, commune. After he communed, his brother rang me up when they home and said that so-and-so, his brother, is doing stupid things. He's doing really stupid things. Said, Why is he doing that? His parents are going to think that I made him do that because he's going to the church. So I said to myself, why did he react like that? Why did that happen? I'm oh, sorry, he went to a uh, Greek priest too. He went to a Greek priest who's been a priest for, I was only a priest for a couple of years. He was a priest for 40 years, very well known, very, very faithful priest and that type of thing. He read him exorcisms. So I rang him up after I said, uh, you know, Father, whatever it goes, he says, I've never seen in my whole 40 years of priesthood a case of demonic possession like that. And I said to him, but why did it have to happen to me? Now they're blaming me. The parents are going around saying that I did it. And it was a very big trial. And I was wondering to myself, I forgot to say that after the church, after the commune, they came back to my house at that time before the monastery and I read A Life of Saint to them. As I've told you before, Saint Lydia and Kirill and Alexis that, that were martyred under the communists. That's a very powerful life, a very moving life. And I said to myself, I think I know what happened. His repentance was genuine. He was overwhelmed with the life. But he, he had demons in him, probably because his parents did magic, I'm assuming, because they were into that. So he had demons. And what happened was the communion, the repentance, and the life of a saint, etc., and his will, his wanting to change life, uh, agitated the demons that were in him. And, and they showed themselves very much so. A lot of people got demonic problems. It doesn't show because their repentance is feeble. Not much there. But the demons this time, they showed themselves in all their ways. In their strength, talking with other voices. I was talking with voices. Anyway, it was terrible. And that showed to me, like with a Jewish person, with a woman that was with a Jew, no, no, no. What you're doing is right. Stop this nonsense of allowing people to commune like a... Like this priest, as I said to you last time, he says, oh, we had 80 people come for confession before Pascha. I go, oh, really? And how many, Father, did, how many commune? 80. I said to myself, how can 80 people commune out of those people? Weren't some of them un, were not, not proper to commune at that time? They just let anyone commune. Now there's a controversy going on in America against Father Fremen's monasteries. The controversy is that the monasteries of Father Frem go with the canonical ways of the Greek church. That is, you give penances. So if a woman's done an abortion, they could give them a year, a year and a half, they fall into sodomy when men and women do sodomy, mean anal and oral sex. The canons really are eight years, but they might give them one year, two years, I don't know, whatever. They give them canons. Epidemia. 
penances, sorry, they give him penances. Some woman went there, I think she'd done a, two, three abortions, they gave her a couple of years, and then she ran to the bishop, which was, was a Russian bishop too, and he goes, oh, no, 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 you don't have to do that. No, no, you go commune. And that one's got the right to untie what a priest has tied, as we say. Because Christ said, whoever, whoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven, and whichever sins you retain, they're retained. No one's got the right to do that. And they said, no, 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 you go there. But they don't say anything. There's no controversy about every other Orthodox church just about, I'm telling you, it's the majority of them, who allow people to commune with no penances whatsoever, nothing at all, after even committing the worst sins the day before. No controversy about that. Why is there controversy now? The demons are agitated. They don't want these things to be known, these penances. They don't like them. Because as St. Nicodemus says, penances save people. Penances help people to stop sin. So, for example, if someone's fallen into adultery all the time and they go to the priest and they go, oh, I committed adultery when? Uh, two days ago. Okay, commune. He's not going to stop. It's going to come back the next, next couple of weeks. What happened? I've done it again and again and again. They're not going to stop. Or people that are doing unnatural sins with each other, married men and women, these disgusting things. They're not going to stop. But the father of friend monasteries have said that when we give them penances after a while, they stop. And that's what the demons don't want. They don't want penances. And that's why there's this going on, this, this thing going on. And this is allowed by God, which is good, because the more they make a big deal about it, the more it becomes known, and people will start knowing, I'm going to go to a priest which gives penances. And people ring me up and say, so I went to the priest, I confessed uh, you know, that I did an abortion. Yeah, what, penance did you, what, uh, what penance did you get? Nothing. I said, go buy some books on abortion and give them out. Buy as much as you can. Other people ring me up and say, I, I confess such and such and such and such. Yes, I, I, I don't feel, no, I don't feel right. I go, why? He goes, nothing was said. He just read the prayer. I just don't feel right. I, I feel that something's not right. I said, it's because you didn't get a penance. Number one, they failed to protect the Holy Eucharist from the unprepared faithful who partake in a sacrilegious way. Number two, they failed to confess Christ at every corner and every moment of their life. In other words, they failed to confess Christ as God. They failed to confess orthodoxy as the true church, etc. Then this article goes on. This is why the whole orthodox church prays when the clergyman dies. Candidates for priesthood, those who are thinking of becoming priests, should be aware that they may very easily lose their salvation due to the temptations of the world because the priests have greater honour than the angels. Now this person, I don't know what we can say, where did he get that from? The priests have greater honour than the angels. Could that be correct? Or did he just make that up? Because I don't even know who wrote this. Well, I've got the answer for you now because St. Cosmas will tell us. St. Cosmas of Etolia. Etolia. He says, my brethren, you laymen should be careful not to accuse your priests, not to swear at them, not to neglect them financially as well. 
because you put fire in in your breast, in other words, and you will be burned because priests are even higher than angels and kings. So this time it's not this unknown person on the internet who could have made it up. Now we're hearing it from a saint. This is... Uh, sorry, but I wanted to say before, we live off the people and I'm not obliged to anyone. That's why I can be here now. If I was getting paid... They say, oh, if you, if you speak the way you speak, we're going to take away your money. I don't care because I don't get money from them. I get money what the people send me. That's how we live. People send money, for, they want commemorations, whatever. Not that we're paying for commemorations because Christ says, freely you receive, freely give. Christ said that. So people say, then why do you take money? I'm not taking money. If people want to give money, they can give money. Christ had a money box. He had a money box. He allowed people to put the money in the money box. Why? For his needs as a human and for the apostles' needs and to give to the poor. Because if the apostles had to go and work to make money to live, then how are they going to do their work? So Christ had this money box which was used for that. So it's the same as the monasteries and the priests, how it should be. If we never had money, what do we do? I'm going to go and work and go back and teach. Hmm? The cube root of eight is two. So what are we going to teach? Areas of triangles. What? What? What's the purpose of all that? God wants the priest has to be the duty of preaching and helping and guiding and and saving souls. That's our job. Saving souls. What? What does a priest do? Save souls. He saves souls. If he's not saving souls, then he's not. A, he's not a proper priest. Might have the priesthood, but he's not a proper priest. So, why do people give money then? It's a pious Orthodox tradition that we are supporting the monasteries so that they can do their work and continue to do services every day and pray and commemorate, etc. That's why you're not giving money if you ever give money for commemorations. You're not giving the money, as we say, for the commemoration itself. You're giving money to support the monastery or the priest if they've got no salary so that they can continue doing their work. That's why you give. People don't understand that. This is how my mind tells me, says St. Cosmas, my brethren, to act. If I were to meet a priest and a king... I would put the priest to sit higher than the king. If I were to meet a priest and an angel, I would first greet the priest, kiss the hand in other words, and then the angel. Because, my brethren, the priest is higher than even the holy altar, higher than even the holy chalice. Because the holy chalice is without a soul, but the priest receives the holy sacraments daily, the holy body and blood of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. I, brethren, have no charges to make against the priest because they are priests and they have Christ who punishes them. And whatever mistake they make, our Christ has an iron rod to apply to them. Now, this is where some of you can say, there it is. Before you were judging, you were saying about monsters and the priests and the bishops and this and that. Did you hear me say anything personal? Did I talk about... You know, 
Pate Yuan, you know, someone that's fornicating with uh, some woman? Did I say that? No. Did I say that the priest there does drinking? No. Did I talk about their person? No. St. Cosmas is talking about their personal sins. Their personal sins. And that is sins, especially sins that are done in secret. When not, it's different if a priest is, say, is doing a sin and openly says, oh, sex before marriage, there's nothing wrong with that. That's different. Now he's going into, now he's going into the teachings of the church. That's not a personal sin. So people read St. Constantine the Great and says, if I see a priest sinning, I will cover him with my purple robe. I will cover him. I would protect him so no one will see him. People say, see, this, this. No, no. Personal sins, sins that are done in secret and things like that. But sins that are done openly with, with no care and saying, I don't Nothing wrong with being drunk and going to serve the liturgy. There's nothing wrong with uh, 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 fornicating. Nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, that's a different thing. So Saint Cosmas says, don't bring charges to, against the priests because they are priests and they have Christ who punishes them. And whatever mistake they make, our Christ has an iron rod to punish them. In other words, an iron rod. Personal sins not matters of the faith and not matters of orthodox is the church, the canons, etc. Of course, when a, when a priest or a bishop prays with a heretic, of course you can say something. There was a devout Christian who went, this is in an Athenite patristic manuscript from Manathos. There was a, I, I had the whole story, it was five pages too long. There was a devout Christian who went to his confessor for 15 years uh, and told him his human weaknesses, his sins. One day he went, as usual, to make his confession. But when he opened the door, he found the man fornicating with a woman. He was having sex with a woman, but behind closed doors. Then an angel appeared and said, there was much more, I'm just really breathing. But the person got knocked out. He goes, oh, does, are my sins forgiven? Oh, no, all these years I've been confessing. This man was... Uh, and then the angel appeared to him and said, the priest who heard your confession and granted you forgiveness wasn't his. The forgiveness that you, re that you received, the grace that passed through the priest, through his petrahili on your head, the grace that you received that the forgiveness is, that's not his. That forgiveness is a gift from God. He gives it, God gives it, because he's got the priesthood, in other words. The All Holy Spirit grants it to those who purely and sincerely confess their sins and weaknesses. Well, firstly, a lot of people do not confess with sincerity. Everyone can judge themselves. The All Holy Spirit grants it to those who purely and sincerely confess their sins and weaknesses. The difference is that what God gives and grants to people is given and granted through canonically ordained priests who have permission to hear confessions and to forgive sins, which Christ said, Go and make a prostration and ask forgiveness of your confessor because you saw him sinning. Ask him to forgive you for judging him. Right? Again, what was it? Did he see him praying with a heretic? Did he see him preaching in church heresy? 
Did he see him? Did he see him saying that pornography is not bad? Did he say no, 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 no? He he saw him doing a sin in secret, and that's wrong, obviously. How is that different to the monster, the, the the bishop that was a monster in the last talk? He was openly doing things. He was physically abusing parishioners. He's the bishop. He was leading a very bad life, openly. And that's why God did not say, don't call him monster. But if that bishop was doing his duties, doing his duties, but then he was doing something secretly. And they said, he's a monster. God would have said, no, don't call him a monster. Leave him to me. That's the difference. Monsters are those who openly pray with heretics, those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit, those who blaspheme the teachers of the church. They are the monsters, right? And all I had read many years ago two examples, I can't remember them properly. One was the priest who used to drink. And he drank even, and when he used to go to serve the next morning, he was a bit drunk. And he had an accident. He spilt the communion, if I remember correctly. And um, people demanded, I can't remember, it's just two of them, two examples similar. And the people demanded that he be defrocked. So the bishop went to defrock him. He got the, the pen to, the pen, pen, whatever he had there, to sign that he's defrocked, he's no longer a priest. And the, the pencil broke. So he got another pencil, it broke again. He got another pencil, it broke again. And he realised that even though he was, he had the weakness of drinking, he was, he was a pious priest, but he had this weakness. Now, another one was some priest who was doing something bad, but I really wish I could remember, but I can't. Anyway, the bishop was ready to defrock him. And the night before he was going to defrock him, he saw all these dead people, souls of people. And they were saying to him, don't defrock him. Because in every liturgy, he commemorates us. And we receive help where we are in Hades. So it's different to monsters that openly tread on everything. These are personal sins. I've got personal sins. If you stayed with me for a couple of days, you'll see so much. What does that mean, that I can't perform my... St. Paisio says, when a priest performs, doesn't matter if he's off, when he performs his duties, like he does a baptism, a Eucharist, all that, the canonical, that it, it, the miracle happens. The bread and wine become body and blood, etc. He says the best will be to have a priest which is spiritual as well. Then you've got a double. That would be the best, to have a priest which is spiritual, holy person, and got the priesthood, obviously. Today, unfortunately, the majority, they've got the priesthood, but they don't have the 
the virtues properly, and we all fail in that. But when the priest, as I said, commemorates like that drunken priest, when he was commemorating the dead, they were feeling it. They were feeling it, and they would be, and a lot of them were being released from Hades because of his commemorations. To show you, I want to read it quickly, to show you what I mean, just before the, the entrance in the, in the liturgy, the priest reads a prayer which is called the first prayer of the faithful. Unfortunately, in the Greek church, they've taken out of that stuff. Those, these, the Russians, they keep it all. From after the gospel, the Greeks jump straight to the Sherebikim. But the, the Slavs, they keep, there's all these prayers in between. Prayers for the living, prayers for the dead, etc. Now, one of those prayers says, the prayer that we read in the altar quietly, uh, we give thanks unto thee, O Lord, God of the powers, who has accounted us worthy to stand now, even now before thy holy altar and to fall down before thy compassions for our sins and the errors of the people. Accept thy supplications of God, make us worthy to offer unto thee prayers and supplications and unbody sacrifices for all thy people and number us who know his place in this thy ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's the priesthood, blamelessly and without offence in the pure witness of our conscience to call upon thee at all times in every place that in hearing us they may show mercy upon us uh, according to the potential of our goodness. Now, the part I want to bring to your attention is this. It, he says, the prayer says, which was put together by St. John Chrysostom, uh, who has accounted us worthy to stand even now before the holy altar and to fall down before thy compassions for our sins and the errors of the people. Now, I've been reading that for years and I never even got it. But when I read the interpretations of the holy liturgy by Father Augustinus, Metropolitan of Augustinus in his books on the divine worship. I read through that years ago and he, he explained this. He says, when the priest is saying, he says, for our sins, meaning the priests, and the errors of the people. In other words, the people's sins are lesser compared to the when the priest sins, they are considered more serious than when a layperson sins. That's why he says, for our sins, the clergy, and the errors of the people. He calls it errors. And there's another one which is just after the great entrance. There's another prayer just after the great entrance during the petitions there. He says, And enable us to offer unto thee gifts and spiritual sacrifices for our sins and for the ignorances of the people. Again, playing down the sins of the, of the, of the laity because they are not at the same level as the priest. The priest should be of a higher level. So therefore, when the priest does a sin, it's serious compared to when a layperson does a sin. Not that they go, not, they're still a sin, but, not, but, but the who will be judged the most will be the priest. And we have Canon 58 of the 85 Canons of the Holy Apostles. If any bishop or priest neglects the clergy or the laity and fails to instruct them in piety, let him be excommunicated. In other words, he can't commune, he can't serve. But if he persists in his negligence and his laziness, let him be defrocked from office. Let him be defrocked, deposed. This is showing how the canons of the church, which are inspired by God, look at a priest or a bishop, because they're basically the same, 
A bishop has one extra thing. He can ordain people. The priest can't. Apart from that, there's no other difference. And he says here, the canon says, that if the priest is not doing his duty to, to instruct people, to help them and warm them and teach the orthodox faith, he must be uh, excommunicated, not allowed to commune for a while, waiting for his repentance. And if he doesn't, he still persists in being lazy and not taking care of the flock. He needs to be defrocked. We remember in the last talk, Father Seraphim Rose says that the lives of saints are one thing desperately needed in America to give a dosage of real orthodoxy for those souls who are withering away. So when we don't have the lives of saints, we become like shriveled up people, shriveled up. He says if you want to, be, if you want to get cured from that, you have to read the lives of saints. He calls it two-dimensional academic orthodoxy. Like when you read books or study, it's two-dimensional. I mentioned that last time. Two-dimensional means lacking depth, lacking substance, superficial. That's today what we're getting from the seminaries and things like that. Two-dimensional, no, there's not much depth there at all. I explained that guy from the George, from the Theological College, poor thing, and... Father Epiphanius Theodoropoulos, who lived from 1930 to 1989, he was a celibate priest. He wasn't a priest monk. He was an unmarried priest. They do have that. Not many, but they have him. Uh, who lived his whole life in the world. He didn't, wasn't in a monastery because he wasn't a monk. In addition to refusing to become bishop, they were offered him to become bishop, he sacrificed a full professorship to become a professor in the university teaching theology. So he said, no, I don't want that. The offer to become the chief secretary of the Synod of Bishops of the Church of Greece, they have one of the highest positions in the Church of Greece, he said no. To be the rector of a, in a magnificent large church in Athens, he said no. And to be the director of a missionary brotherhood, he said no. He just wanted to live peacefully with his epitrahelion, which is the, the stole, that's what we wear around our necks, that he could put on people's heads and reconcile them with God through confession. Confession was his greatest happiness. So what happens when the priest reads the prayer over your head is that we are reconciled to God. That's what he wanted to do. He didn't want any of that stuff. That's all he wanted to do. In his own words, he said, I sacrificed everything even before I had anything. I sacrificed a place at the university as a professor. I sacrificed a position for a secretary of the Holy Synod. I sacrificed the position of a director of a missionary brotherhood. I sacrificed uh, the position of the first priest of a large church. I sacrificed to become a bishop. All I have is a little epitrahelion, which is, as I said, the stole. That's what we call it around there. So it's to confess ten souls. To confess, even he, he confessed a lot of people one of the main confessors in, in Athens. Nothing else. There is no greater satisfaction for me than to remain for hours on end in the seat of the confessional and to reconcile man to God. The word epitrahelion literally means upon the neck. It is the stole that the priest or bishop wears around his neck when hearing confessions or when doing any service. 
around the neck. Why? Because the around the neck means that he's carrying the souls of all those that come to him. The burden of saving souls is on his neck. He goes on, he says, It seems a blasphemy to me that an archmandrite is sad at not having been elected bishop. So there's these archmandrites, they're priest, priest monks, not married, and they become sad when they're not elected as bishops. They're really hanging out to be bishops. If you consider that your shell of a body can take bread and wine and with, and with the Holy Spirit's consecration transforms it into the body and blood of Christ, that you have been given the power to make children of Adam partakers of the cross and resurrection of Christ through baptism, and how you have been given the power to place your hands and your stole, your petrohelion, over the head of the greatest sinner and bring him out of confession with a pure and whitened soul, how can you then consider yourself unsuccessful? They say, oh, I've failed, I've failed because I didn't become a bishop. He goes, because you haven't put a mitre on, a mitre is the bishop's crown. He says, you're upset because you haven't got a mitre. Because you haven't put on a mitre, may God have mercy on us. He was shocked. Most people, like a lot of the bishops today that are becoming bishops, do not become because they have a love to save souls. I'll tell you that now. Most of them are becoming for glory, power, And some of them are like Manchurian candidates. In other words, they're coming in to destroy the Orthodox faith through heresy. A lot of them are heretics, even before they became. I had this, this bishop offer me. He says, oh, I went to Greece. He goes, um, I'll make you a priest. I'll make you a priest. He used to make anyone a priest, by the way. He made a man a priest. The man went to his office on Thursday and had no understanding of the church at all. He goes, I want to be a priest. He goes, okay, Saturday he made him a deacon, Sunday he made him a priest. In three days he was made a priest. And he had, you know, when I asked the man, I was asking the man, I was a bit suspicious, I asked him questions, I wasn't a priest then, and I said to him, um, so you're a confessor? He goes, what? You're a confessor? You're a confessor? What's that? That's, well, that's the state of the church today. And I've got prophecies, and I've got, holy, I've got fathers, they talk about Greece because there are around 8,000 or more clergy in Greece. I'm not going to get to it, but I'm going to tell you. 8,000 priests in Greece, they said, they were saying before that Athanasius Bithynianos is a very famous priest, uh, priest archmandrite, very holy man. He used to talk about in his times, about 40 years ago, that there weren't, that there was, you know, like a certain number of people that believed, like, out of the, the 8,000 priests, 7,000 believed, but 1,000 didn't believe anything, he said. He actually said, don't believe anything. Then Father Salvas, the Ayurite, he says that today, he said that out of the 8,000 priests in Greece, Orthodox Greece, then you wonder why they are the worst with covetism. They are the worst. They're unrecognisable compared to the Slavic churches that were under communism. They didn't care. They'd done litanies in the street. They went on the, with the aeroplane up with icons and blessed in the cities. They were doing priests were going around the city and spraying holy, uh, springing holy water in, Bog, in uh, Bulgaria, um, Romania, Belarus, things like that. In the Greek church, 
hardly nothing. Mount Athos did. They took out the holy icon, holy icons and the relics of Saint Hieronymus. They did litanias there on um, in on Mount Athos, but in, in Greece it was forbidden. So out of the, he says today, out of the and I'm, when I'm saying it, I feel like breaking down. Out of the eight thousand priests that are Orthodox, the Orthodox priests of Greece, he said. The number of them that believe, say compared to 40 years ago, was 7,000 believed, 1,000 didn't. What do you think the number is now? Opposite. No. So you're saying that the opposite, meaning that 7,000 don't believe, 1,000 are. He said uh, 300. He goes, the rest don't believe anything. That's not something you can say lightly. But why am I saying it? Well, one, it's the truth. And secondly, you have to know. San Ignatius goes on to talk about, I haven't got time, about vainglory. He says, like love of money and greed, vainglory destroys faith in the human heart. In other words, when someone's got vainglory, they can't have faith in God. So if you're a priest or a bishop as out of vainglory or out of human glory, which means there's a difference. Vainglory is when you think high about yourself and you show off. Human glory is when you're being praised by the people. And he goes on with wonderful quotes from the Bible, which I will do next time. I haven't got time because it was a very, very good section, but I'm sorry, I took out... 10 pages already, and um, I think we've got Father George Calchu, the, the Romanian confessor. He had an interview in 1996 in Los Angeles, California. A woman interviewed him about Romania and about what happened with the communists and all that. And basically, again, I haven't got time, I'll do it next time, but he says that they have to repent, they have to admit what they did was wrong if they want to do anything because the people don't trust them anymore, because they compromised. And he says, um, I think the sin of the hierarchs of the Romanian Orthodox Church and the theologians in, in Romania is intellectualism. Intellectualism, which is what I was saying last time. They pass everything through their minds. They forget the soul and the heart. They are very cultivated people, educated people, polished people, sophisticated people. They speak very well, but everything is dry. When they speak, it's like dry, like dry as a bone. I think this is why the youth came to me. Why they come to him? Because he was talking about the lives of saints. He was speaking with, with, with faith. These people, they were just dry. People from the universities, dry as a bone. There were times when I wanted to give up because they were telling him, don't speak, the communists, will, the communists will close the seminary down. They'll close the seminary down, don't speak. And he was, he was going to listen, but then he asked the kids, the, the students, they said, no, Father, you just keep on going, we'll support you, you, so you keep on going. And they convinced me to continue on. But the professors and the priests were saying, shut up, be quiet, they're going to lock us down, they're going to take away the seminary. But, Saint, uh, but Father George s said that he felt he was inspired by God to continue going on. Yeah. 
and not listen to the bishops and the professors and the priests. They were all against him. Um, and he was doing these sermons. When they shut the door, he went and done the sermons in the street. He still continued. Everyone was against me, but they did not have the courage to stop me. And then he quotes, then the interviewer quotes Father Justin Pavu, that was the one I told you before. He told me the Romanian people made many compromises with the communists in order to prevent the churches and monasteries from being closed and destroyed. They did that in Russia too. Didn't help them. They still destroyed all the churches. He said that he did not know if that was God-pleasing. He says, was that God-pleasing? The, um, the saint says, the Father Justin. What do you think about that? You may have answered this question by recalling how the priests had said that the communists would destroy the seminary if you keep on preaching before, but you kept preaching anyway. You did not compromise. You didn't compromise. But if you were responsible for a whole parish, they would have, they would have destroyed your parish as well. What would you have done then? Father George, I have thought very deeply about this Father Roman Braga, Nachmandrite, he was also went to jails for many years and, and he was tortured, has said that the compromises save the churches and the monasteries. I do not believe it. I think every compromise is wrong. Jesus Christ did not make any compromises. And Father George says, I think the devil is the winner in any compromise. This compromise made by the churches save nothing. And this is my favourite part. Perhaps it saved the walls, but it did not save the souls. There were bishops who went from monastery to monastery, forcing the monks and the nuns to leave, to leave the actual church, like give up their monasticism. These are bishops. They went, they were sent as messages of the communist regime to force out the monks and nuns because the monastics refused to leave their monasteries. The bishops, orthodox bishops, Romanian bishops, told them, in other words, monsters, go outside, go into the world, become honest citizens. They forced the monks and nuns to go outside and help build communism. So we say, oh, we shouldn't judge. Of course we judge. It's not a private sin. They lost, I am sure, a lot of souls. Because monks and nuns who left their monasteries and their faith, and the majority did, as I've said, could be a stumbling block. They scandalised people. When the monks and nuns left their monasticism, it scandalised a lot of lay people. And a lot of those lay people left the church because they were scandalised. That's why the devil, the first thing he wants to knock down is the bishop, the priest, monastics. Because it makes people say, oh, look at that priest. You know, he'd done this and that, or he became Muslim, or he became whatever. They, that is, they could cause another person to turn away from God. And the priests were speaking for the communist regime, just like today the bishops were speaking for Pfizer and the CDC and all these things. They were talking as if they were like um, vaccine representatives. They did the same. Just like in Romania... Back in those times, and in Greece today, the majority of the bishops might be, I'll tell you, tell you um, I tried to find out how many of them spoke up against uh, COVID and all that. 
I think I've only found two, out of 80 bishops. Out of 80 bishops. They're speaking for the government. Pakui, whatever the government says, whatever the government says. In every letter that the patriarch wrote at Christmas, he never forgot to praise the communist regime. Uh, I think he was the president and so on. Like he, he would praise the president, he was, was a communist, an atheist, and the communist regime. All of this lost many people. There were compromises. The church in Romania had no moral authority, no power, because the priests and the bishops made compromises. Today, many of the orthodox bishops and clergy have no authority once they started to force people to be vaccinated and they did what they did in the churches. It would have been better for them to close the churches altogether rather than to do what they were doing with icons and, and blasphemies. Or speak up. You say, oh, but, you know, they, they found it hard to speak up. Well, they shouldn't become bishops. If they can't speak up, why are they bishops? What do you think that, that rod that he has in his hand, you know what that means? It's a shepherd's stick. Why do the shepherds have sticks for? So when the wolves came to attack the sheep and take them away, they would hit the wolves on the head. And the bishop's rod is symbolic of that, that the bishop is supposed to hit, not physically but spiritually, hit the heretics and the enemies of the church that are trying to destroy the flock. But they're not. They said, come. So I'll say it again. The church in Romania had no moral authority, no power, because the priests and the bishops made compromise. And now they have not the courage to speak out and say, we made compromises. They can't. They haven't got the guts to admit that we, it says here, we made compromises. They don't say we made mistakes. They don't say now we are ready to stand firmly against atheism. He says, none of that. They're not doing that. Because, like I said in the beginning, their compromises, their silence was so bad, at the end, they, they, that's it, they became dead. I can't resist. We have to do... Okay, the, an interview with Father Savas, the Athenite, by Father Peter, he's interviewed Father Savas. He was a very, very uh, spiritual person, very, very outspoken about this business and ecumenism. Father Savas says, and the second point is this, we need to gather around right-minded priests. There's, the, there's your answer. What do you do? Gather around right-minded priests. What does that mean? Gather around orthodox priests. Find an orthodox priest and go to him. And unfortunately, it is no lie that we are also experiencing a large falling away of the clergy. Father Savas, Elder Savas, admits that today the clergy have fallen away. Saint Cosmas of Vitoria himself prophesied this, that there would come a time when the clergy would become worse than the lay people. And the clergy will enter, he says, into the house of a person. Now, I'm not saying this. St. Cosmas prophesied that the time will come when the clergy will enter into the homes of a person and after he leaves, the people will burn incense to drive away the stench from the place. Forgive me for saying this. 
What stench? The stench of heresy. The stench of blasphemy. The stench that, that's what he said. That many of the clergy in the last times will, be, will, have, will, will stink because they will not have orthodoxy. Don't blame me. He goes on. We will reach the point, unfortunately, and I have many personal testimonies, in other words, verbal accounts, and experiences during times when I'm confessing people, when people come to me and confess, he said, and they tell me things, which reveal this falling away of the clergy. Now, you might not understand that, but I'll tell you what, what he means. Because it happens, it happens to me. People ring up or write and say, um, well, this man, he was a convert. He, used to, he took his child to a priest. And um, the priest was confessing. And in the confession, the priest was saying to this um, young woman, you can have sex before marriage. That's not how the church teaches and all that type of stuff. They are saying that oral sex is no problem. Some of them, I read that when I did the um, sexual talks on sexual relations. That's no problem. That's stupid people. Monsters. They have nothing on them. They're saying, and that's true, I've heard so much. I can't listen to it. But once, what I heard during the COVID, the things they were doing with community, I said, sorry, I can't hear it. Don't tell me. Stop going there and find the church which doesn't do it. And if you keep on going to that church, don't ring me anymore or don't write to me. So there will be a great falling away of the clergy. There was a contemporary enlightened elder who fell asleep a short time ago. This is what Elder Sava is saying. And he would say these exact words. It is very hard to find even 200 correct priests in Greece today. Ooh, made a mistake. It's a tragedy. A tragedy. And another testimony, this one by Father Athanas Athanasios Mithinianaos, as I said, very pious holy priest. I met him as well. Ordinary. My mother used to love listening to his talks. I couldn't, it was a bit difficult to Greek for me. I liked Father Augustinus's talks. Simple, a bit more simple. He was very theological. He did so many talks. So many talks. And uh, this renowned preacher and teacher, and this is about 40 years ago, and I heard it, says Father Savas, with my own ears during one of his talks, he said, of the 8,000 clergy which we had in Greece at that time, 1,000 of them, and this is confirmed, don't believe in anything. 1,000 out of 8,000. And Father, Father Peter says, he goes, oh, the 1,000 of the 8,000, he was shocked. And that was 40 years ago. Now we have reached 200 who do believe and are God-fearing. This is unfortunate, very unfortunate. And we have yet another testimony of a contemporary ascetic who fell asleep about seven or eight years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Christina was her name. I think she was from Khanya, Greece. I don't know where that is. She revealed the vision to a spiritual child of hers. She said, of course, you won't tell anyone, but only after my death. And what was, and what was that vision? She saw Christ, who appeared to her, not in her sleep, and said to her that of the hierarchs in Greece, 
Out of the 80 hierarchs in Greece, eight of them are mine. We are talking about eight to ten years ago. Of the 80 or so hierarchs we had in Greece, eight of them belonged to Christ. I don't know today how many belong to Christ. Let's not dare say a number. I think, well, anyway, so as I said, he didn't want to commit himself, but I tried to see who spoke up against the uh, that, or even better, ecumenism. But anyway, some of them do speak up against ecumenism, but over the covertism, there's only a few that spoke up. So I made a mistake with a lot of my numbers. A time will come, says Saint Cosmas, when there will be no, there will not be harmony that exists between the laity and the clergy. There won't be unity. That's come. The, church, the clergy will become the worst and most impious or impious of all. They will be. They won't have any piety. Father Basil of Kapsukalivitis, which is a, a, from Mount Athos, is in in Antimor. Is that, is that ready? No. One elder who spoke prophetically about what is happening in the church today was Elder Basil of Kapsukalia, an ascetic man, Athos, who said in 2009, he died in 2015, 2009, well before COVID, they, they will legally introduce carnivals in the church with a law. Whosoever does not participate in these carnivals will be persecuted. You will witness many shameful and foolish things. You will travel miles to find a good priest and spiritual father. Carnivals is carnavalia in Greek, is what they call as Mardi Gras, not, the, not necessarily a gay Mardi Gras, but Mardi Gras where they wear masks. So the, the elder saying they're going to introduce in the church for people to wear masks like they do in those Mardi Gras. How did he know that? And when they wear masks, the reason why they wear masks is to disguise themselves because during that period, they then have anonymous sex, but they do whatever they want, anything filthy, because they're masked, no one knows who they are. Anyway, that's what, I can't, that's what the, um, the Mardi Gras are. But we go on here. Whoever does not participate in these carnivals, in these mask wearing, will be persecuted, which is true. That's what happened. And they will legally introduce it. The government legally said you have to wear a mask in churches, the trains, the bus. I'm not interested in the trains and buses because that's their jurisdiction. We can be disobedient and get the fine, but lay off the churches. No, not in the churches. So he said, you will travel miles to find a good priest and a spiritual father. Does that happen now? Yes. Yes, it's happening now. It's very hard to find someone. You will travel miles to find a spiritually sound priest. You will, tr you will travel long distances to find a good spiritual father. Spiritually sound means orthodox, an orthodox priest. You will have to travel miles. Then I've got an, a prophecy of Ava Pambo in 375 when he died and he was talking about the priests will become prodigals and the monks will live negligently. Prodigals means 
put it this way, opposite to ascetic. They'll have nothing ascetic, nothing um, of spirituality. They will live, have a lot of money. They'll live in luxury, etc. They will not care about it. And he says here... The clergy will be indifferent concerning salvation. I said that before. As much as for their own souls as for the souls of their flocks, they will despise any such concern. The priests will not speak about salvation their own. They will not care about the salvation of their flocks. And they, not only that, they don't like it. They won't like the topic. I remember once doing some scripture classes with the priest and we were sitting there, I think we had three periods in the morning and we had recess, I had to go, we had to go to the teacher's lounge and uh, fourth period after that was the last one. So it was four periods, 100 kids per, 100 kids per group. And we were there and um, the priest was listening to the teachers, they were doing, making announcements and he was going, <laughs> What was going on anyway? And I said, I asked him a spiritual question. He went like that. Like that. What does that mean? Did he have something bitter like lemon? No. No, he didn't like that. He didn't like it. Another time I went to a priest and I said, Father, I'm thinking of doing scripture classes, but I don't know what God's will is. He scratched his face up as if, as if he just drank a bottle of vinegar. God's will. He didn't like that. The clergy will be indifferent concerning salvation as much as their own, as for the souls of their flocks, and they would despise any such concerns. That's why I said before. Do you hear them talk about salvation? No, very few. They, they, will never, they will neither want to imitate nor listen to the lives and counsels of elders. I said that last time. They don't care what elders say. They don't follow them. They know more because they went to university. They studied theology, and they're not going to listen to an ascetic from Manathos, who, 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 or someone like Elder Porphyrios that had a second-class education. The bishops of those times will be subservient to the powerful of the world. Subservient means they'll be obedient to the powerful of the world. That's what happened now. They'll be obedient and compliant. They will make decisions according to the gifts that they receive from everywhere and consulting the rational logic of the academics. What would you hear the bishop say? Whatever the scientists say, whatever the doctors say, the doctors, the scientists, saliva dripping from their mouth, it was like that. Nothing about the science, nothing about anything. Then there's Saint Nilos. He died in 1651. He gave a beautiful prophecy and I'll read it quickly, from the year 1900 towards the middle of the 20th century, the people in the world will, become, will, will begin to become unrecognisable. Because the time of the Antichrist draws near, but not necessarily there, the minds of people shall be darkened due to the passions of the flesh. Ungodliness and iniquity are going to increase. Well, we see that now. Then will the world become unrecognisable. The faces of people are going to be changed. Going to change which is what happened with Botox and cosmetic surgery. That they, they, their faces have changed. Men will not be distinguished from women on account of their shamelessness in dress and style of hair. These people will become wild, becoming like, wild, like beasts because of the temptations and the deception of the Antichrist, meaning the forerunners, etc. 
There'll be no respect towards parents and elders. Love is going to disappear. Christian shepherds, that is bishops and priests, are going to be filled with vainglory, with some exceptions. Utterly failing to distinguish the right from the left, they will be incapable of guiding Orthodox Christians what is the right way, what's the wrong way. What's the Orthodox way, what's the heretical way. They will become incapable except for a few. I'm not saying it. This great, this great uh, saint is saying it. The customs and traditions of the Christians and of the church are going to change. Purity will depart from society and immorality is going to dominate. Immorality is going to dominate. Well, it's dominating even in the churches because no one cares anymore. You think a priest is going to say now, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, abortion is a big sin. They're not going to do that. Why? Because they're going to get attacked in the feminists, etc., etc. The churches of God, and this is very important, so it says up here, bishops and priests are going to be filled with vainglory, like, like Father Epiphania said before and I said that. The churches of God are going to be deprived of godly and pious shepherds. What does that mean? The churches are going to have not many godly and pious shepherds, meaning priests and bishops. The churches of God, meaning the Orthodox Church, are not going to have many. And woe to the Christians remaining in the world at that time. Can you tell me the situation with the food? It's ready? Okay. I'm disappointed I just couldn't get a lot of things. We did quite a lot, but... Uh, I had around 10 or more fathers saying, what do you do when your priest is not doing the commandments, the, upper, the canons, etc.? And they say, keep away from them. Don't go near them. They don't say go to another church. They don't say that they're not priests anymore, bishops. None of that. St. John, Archbishop of San Francisco, even St. John, you say, oh, you're speaking very harsh. St. John says in the last days, evil and heresy will have spread so widely that the faith will not be able to find a priest or shepherd to protect them from delusion and guide them to salvation. That's St. John. That's St. John with his relics are incorrupt. There'll be so much heresy and evil, people are not going to be able to find a priest or shepherd to protect them from delusion and guide them to salvation. At that time, the faithful will not receive proper guidance from men, meaning the clergy, but their guide will be the writings of the Holy Fathers, especially at this time, every believer will be responsible for the whole fullness of the church. Don't wait for the, um, to say, oh I'm, oh, I'm waiting for the priests or the bishops to teach us. No, he says, don't wait for that. Read the Holy Fathers, read the lives of saints. That's St. John saying that. That you're responsible for the faith. Don't depend on them. Brethren, St. John says, it's time for us all to undertake our responsibility to God and to history. Do not tolerate any more foolishness or misguidance from bishops or priests. 
He actually says, don't tolerate their foolishness and their misguidance, their, their deceptions from these people. Do not turn a blind eye, for you will be co-responsible with them. They're going to give word for what they're doing, and you're going to give word because you listen to them. That's what he's saying. And then at the end he says, the saints are forewarning you. The saints are warning you, do not follow these people if they are not teaching according to the Orthodox Church. And that was a recent saint. I'm just going to read one more and then we're going to eat. Metropolitan Augustinus of Florina, 2010. He will be canonised a saint. Oh, how much they hated him. Who hated him? The bishops. The bishops couldn't stand him. Why? Because he said the truth. And this is what he says. The bishop must obey the gospel. This is why when the bishop is ordained, he is ordained under the gospel. They hold the gospel on top of his head. As the fathers say, the Holy Fathers say, this means that the people shall obey the bishop on one condition, that the bishop obeys the gospel. But when the bishop does not obey the gospel and does not do according to the holy canons, then the clergy and the people are not obliged to obey that bishop. No, no. If he's not teaching the right thing, you don't have to be obedient. I've got these zuzuzus, they go, oh, but shouldn't we be obedient? Like this man rang up and he said, but shouldn't we, shouldn't we be a, a obedient? What are you talking about? I tried to help him, but he just didn't. He was crazy. In the event of a dilemma because of a contradiction between the gospel and the bishop's teaching, we must obey God rather than man. Rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29. If they're telling us something which is opposite to what God wants, we obey God, not them. In cases where the bishops are silent and the pulpits where they preach are silent from the clergy or theologians or whatever, then heroic clergymen and monks, even ordinary lay people, have the right and the obligation to say those things which the bishop dare not say either because, and he goes through the reasons why they don't talk, either because they're scared, because they're cowards, or they've got a worldly spirit on them, or they deceived some mistaken belief. That can happen too. Some of our saints got mistaken beliefs. Some of our saints became scared as well when they were threatened. So, but it doesn't matter. Whatever the reason is, if they're not teaching orthodoxy, you don't listen to them, as someone said years ago. So we go... And then I have the last, this is a promise, this is the last one, just quickly. Father, Metropolitan Neophytus of Morphu, Cyprus. We listen to whatever the God-bearing saints tell us. That's how we were taught by St. Porfirios, by St. Jacobus and St. Paisios. They would say, listen to the saints, my son. The bishops can make mistakes, says Metropolitan Neophytus. The patriarchs can make mistakes. Synods can make mistakes. Where you have saints that agree, you don't have mistakes. This is called agreement of the fathers. Another word is called the consensus of the Holy Fathers. When you have many all over the place that agree, that's orthodox. 
Or because one says it, no, 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 don't do that. Oh, this priest said that. That's how you get into deception. There is a consensus throughout the church. Um, where you have saints that agree, you don't have mistakes. This is called the agreement of the fathers. Then he goes on, the last sentence, the second last sentence, difficult days are coming, or rather they have come, and we will not know who to listen to. My advice as the Bishop of Morphu is the following. Listen to the God-bearers. Listen to the saints. Listen to the elders, in other words, that have the Holy Spirit. I'm, out, I'm adding all this. Listen to the God-bearing, grace-filled elders and eldresses. That's who you listen to, not to the monsters or because they have mitres and they sit on thrones. We, they, they lost their credibility from the time that they have not spoken up against the communism, many of them, and they have not even spoken up of COVID, and they put everyone through hell. And they made many people get vaccinated, and many of those people are dying. But there was a prophecy... I'm not sure, sometimes I don't like to, you know, I don't, I've got to be careful prophets who's, who's saying them. But I'm not sure, but I've heard, uh, I think I heard this from a reliable source. They said, the time will come when all the zizania, all the weeds, all the horrible monsters in the Orthodox Church will be rooted out. They're going to go. How's that? I just couldn't understand how they're going to go. How are they going to go? And there are going to be new clergy, new bishops in the Orthodox Church to bring the light of Orthodoxy to the world because the world's waiting for Orthodoxy, including China. So how are these people going to go? They're not going to go. They're not going to walk out. This prophecy must be wrong. Or is it now that we have COVID time, what's the way that they're going to go? Who knows? The vaccines are going to get them. The vaccines are going to get them. They, they're the ones that um, wanted it. They're the ones that are going to get it. And I didn't say that. That was, uh, I'm not going to say his name because he might not want to be said, but that was from someone who was very close to Elder Ephraim. He said, just, just have patience. In a few years, a lot of them are not going to be here. They were there on the TV and the rolling up their, their rasa and having injections and with their masks on, they look like, like, they look like uh, idiots. And they're there proud that they're getting vaccinated and saying to people, you can do the same too. And then the people said, yes, yes, like they've been, I can sleepwalk, yes, yes, yes. Here, can you give me both arms? <laughs> That's it. Sorry if I'm negative, but you, I, I think I've made my case. Through the prayers of our Holy Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy and save us. Amen. Compass with perils, let us lead to the icon of God's pure mother and her infinite goodness. While crying from the depths with grief and pain of soul, swiftly hearken to our prayers, O Immaculate Virgin. For thou hast been rightly called, quick to hear for thy mercies. For thou art our defender in all need, our ready helper in every adversity. 
Dogmatizing simply on the Trinity with faith. The all-wise hierarch spirit unquenched and destroyed the dark babblings of our ears. And he was glorified by wise and learned men and confirmed the counsel mightily. Since thou dost shine all about with celestial beams of light, and with Christ's mighty power ever grant us thy healings of both the soul and body, O blessed of God, never cease thou to pray for them, who now observe thy memorial faithfully, wonder-working Father Spirit on. Thou, O God-bearer, was truly shown forth through faith to be a worker of the vineyard of Christ Saviour's commandments. Wherefore, O wise spirit, on having received that great mystic denarius of yonder kingdom on high, do thou ever pray in behalf of us who honour thee. Thou wast shown forth as a champion of the first council, and a wonder worker of spirit on our God-bearing Father. Wherefore thou didst speak unto one dead in the grave, and didst change a serpent to gold. And while chanting thy holy prayers, thou hast angels serving with thee, O most sacred one. Glory to him that hath glorified thee, Glory to him that hath crowned thee, glory to him that worketh healings for all through thee. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. It is through with the love of Christ, O sacred Spirit, on thou gavest thy mind divine wings with the Spirit's light. In the active vision of God, where all thy labours are in spite of God, whereby thou becamest the Lord's divine altar, asking divine light for all. Both now and ever, and the ages of ages, amen. All day.